Watch Action Sports Jacks on CBS 47 and Fox 30. Now Action Sports Jacks is on your radio. Broadcasting live from the ESPN 690 and a jar in Levine Studios. Here's your host, Brent Martineau. Hey, another Gator note to pass along. Keith Stone is transferring, has entered the transfer portal, according to reports out of Gainesville and around college basketball. So a big injury from Keith Stone this year and uh, missed most of the season or second half of the season. And now looks like he's on his way out of Gainesville. Sometimes that happens, especially when you have some All-Americans coming in and uh, kind of moving to the young guys and more talented guys. Keith Stone, pretty good player, but how he would come back from the big injury this past year is uh, debatable, too. And uh, there's some word that Okoro, the point guard, too, is entering the transfer portal. So uh, some college basketball news around the Florida Gators and some comings and goings, which really is not that unique in college basketball. But those are two pretty good names for the Florida Gators, Okoro and Keith Stone. Uh, Keep you posted on any uh, other developments from that. Brett Martineau, Austin Lane. Coos is back in the house one more day with us because uh, then he's heading up to North Carolina, I believe, for the rest of the week. He's leaving us. So, you know, we get we get a new producer tomorrow. And Who's it going to be? I mean, half the time we're not even sure if things are going to work with Coos. I have I no idea what to expect tomorrow. I mean, I'm sure whoever it is will be a lot better than Coos will. So I'll, I'm excited. <laughs> it, can, excited. It, can, it can literally be anybody. This could be make or break for me on this show if the guy Just comes kidding. in and does better. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, you're listening, Coos. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, I'm right here. Uh, <laughs> we thought you had stepped out. No, no, still here. Just trying to figure everything out on this end. <laughs> yeah, we're only a few months in. I mean, figure it out whenever you have time. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> Uh, we are at the Jacksonville Sports Tavern right across from the baseball grounds. they got a band in here. They just opened the doors at 3 o'clock, just like we do every day, Monday through Friday on ESPN 690. We're 3 o'clock. we got the happy hour horn coming up in a bit. Stop by, get a drink, say hello, listen to ESPN 690. We've got the Cox Media Group family here, in fact. Rolling deep today. Yeah. The Eagle, 96.9. WAPE is over there as well. Hey, Coos, why don't, why don't you have to work the tent? Because I'm stuck here doing this stuff with the computers. <laughs> ah, all right, all right, all right. Promo team is uh, working hard right now. Uh, they uh, they have they are working both sides of uh, the street. I mean, the arena and the baseball grounds. They're setting up canopies. They're setting up tables. We got like a what, what do you call that big? What, thing? what is that? A banner? What is it? It's a teardrop. A teardrop banner. Well, that is, now teardrop. listen, a teardrop that is, banner. That is along the lines of step and repeat kind of language in the business. Uh, step and repeat was the little background. I don't understand why we can't just yep. call it a background. I'm going to call it a background. Step, step and repeat. Like, that makes any sense. I'm going to call it a background. Now, I see the teardrop thing here. Yeah, yeah. Like, people and know what you're talking about. but I'm not mad at that. But I would call it a banner. You know, I mean, just kind of a uh, uh, stand-up banner. But I'm going to call it a teardrop I, banner. What I want to do, though, here's the thing when I'm thinking, Austin. Down in Durban Crossing, I don't give a crap what the HOA has to say, but uh, I want like five of these instead of like no, palm trees. No, no. Think, on my on my on my house. Think bigger, Brent. Think bigger. We need wacky inflatable arm men with ESPN <laughs> 690 logos on them. No, no, no. And I will not stop until we get them. And she agrees. Yeah, yes. Not just arm men, but like that look like us. Oh, now we're talking. <laughs> this could be a thing Is here. that possible? I don't know. We're going uh, to find listen, out. Listen, are you chipping in? I'll chip in. No, let's just go to our boss, Nick, and get, you know, 
Get ESPN 690 to expense that whole thing. Yeah, that's it's a good idea. It's called promotion. Okay, well, right that off my won't taxes. Happen. Yeah, yeah we'll right off. See, right off my taxes. Yeah. Uh, for uh, CMG. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, come by and say hello, Jacksonville Sports Center. All right, let's talk about the NFL owners meetings. Yep. And uh, you know, NFL owners meetings are a great cover, by the way. The, we usually cover them on the TV side, and I would say next year we'll be there. What happens is they alternate years. They go to Orlando, really the state of Florida. I've, I've done it down in South Florida, too. But a lot of times it's in Orlando, then they go out to Arizona, and then Orlando, then Arizona. Well, to be honest with you, and here's a little inside the business, folks, uh, the only reason for us to go to the owners' meetings this time around, we thought, coming off the combine, and uh, we'll have State of the Franchise coming up, we got the draft and everything else, that it was if owner Shad Khan was going to talk. And he was not talking to the media uh, at the owners' meetings. He's going to do that, I believe, at the State of the Franchise in a couple weeks. So other, there was really no reason to go out to Arizona. In fact, I don't really think, other than Jaguars.com, I'm not sure there are uh, any locals out at the out in Arizona, which which makes sense. But that being said, it's a great event to cover because all the coaches are there, all the GMs are there. Yeah. And this morning there's a breakfast, and basically they sit at tables, and so you can talk to all the coaches. That's pretty AFC, cool. NFC. Uh, and they they separate days. I think AFC breakfast this morning, yeah. NFC breakfast tomorrow. And you know, in the past, we even when Jack Del Rio had left, we'd go back and talk to Jack Del Rio a little bit about his time or or what's going on now. So sure. it's it's a it's a good event to cover, especially when it's closer to home. Um, and that being said, I think we've heard a lot of, from Doug Marone already. Like we, Doug Marone's kind of said what he's going to say, mm-hmm. but he did have a few interesting things today. No, that's. Uh, uh, oh, I, I, that's, thought that's, I, I thought we were going to the. Yeah, no, no, that I thought was bad. Had something chalked no, up. No, man. that was bad on my part. No, okay. okay. Well, and so you've, actually, so you've obviously been to a couple of these things before. So can you answer me this one question What's before that? we get into the Doug Marone talk? Is this whole coaches thing, is it sponsored by Tommy Bahama? Because I feel like every one of the coaches is wearing the exact same shirt every single year in those photos. Now, granted, Sean McVay came around, started putting some swag into the whole mix. But for the most part, uh,. A lot of bland golf T-shirts going on. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, that's a really good point. Like, I think head coaches in general, GMs in general, are really poor in style. Khan's got some swag now, so I watch said GMs mom. and oh, coaches. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, my bad, my bad. Owners okay, got these suits bad. that cost $7,000. They're like three mortgage payments or seven <laughs> mortgage payments or whatever. It yeah, is, but okay, from GMs. To, okay, yeah, I, but, I can agree I mean, with that. I mean, the GMs, I think they try too hard at times. Like, they try to go with the, the, the new style, some of a little metro look, mm-hmm. and they just don't pull it off all the time it's to me. And, uh, and, you know, sometimes the coach, see, the coaches come in different sizes and shapes. Mm-hmm. And different sizes and shapes don't lead to suits very well. And then when you try to dress it down a little bit, not so great. So let's just say it's not a GQ event at the owners' meeting. Fair enough. But I'm, I'm going to be honest, though. I saw the picture with Doug Marone, and I'm not mad at that outfit right there. We got it chalked up right here, Brent. You know, he's got he's got the yeah, you know, Doug, sway yeah, going Doug, to he's him. He's got a little Florida yeah. look to him right there. But little, look at Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick looks like. Looks like somebody put him at a know, nursing home every, accidentally. Every grandpa at a family reunion ever, basically, is what Bill Belichick looks like. And then, and then we got my boy Sean McVay, man. I mean, dude's dating supermodels and whatnot. Like, of course, he's bringing. Well, his Sean McVay's so. 31, man. If he doesn't yeah. look better than that crew, it's a good point. Then, then 
he's losing major props good point. inside the organization yep. and from the locker room. I mean, you better be looking good at 31, yeah. 32 years old if you're a coach in the NFL and everybody else is like average age 52. But listen, and we can go ahead and talk about fashion all day. I mean, I'm for it. But we were kind of getting back to Doug Marone's comments a little bit. And a few things that I took away, number one was obviously he talked about Chris Conley and the fact that yeah. some of his best football hasn't even come yet, which I completely agree with him. When Conley was in Kansas City, he really only had one year to be the – the go-to guy to shine and you know and he did all right and then going into the next season he got hurt so when he came back I mean also you look next to you, you got Travis Kelsey you got Tyree Kill you got Sammy Watkins I mean I understand you're throwing you know 60 times a game but those balls are gonna go with somebody and, and unfortunately they weren't going to Chris Conley so I think from that perspective a, a guy that's familiar with Nick Foles uh, being Kansas City and whatnot I think it's like coach said I think Chris Conley's best football is ahead of him and another thing, too, I took was the whole, uh, when uh, Doug Marone talked about Nick Foles, the fact that he's going to be way ahead of his teammates uh, when it comes to offensive inst- installation and that whole process, which, I mean... He's been consistent with that. Yeah, and, and to take it how you want, but he is the quarterback, so one would think, like, yeah, he's supposed to be ahead of it, but I think that the fact that Doug Marone keeps reiterating this point, it kind of goes to show you just what kind of guy Nick Foles is in terms of preparation, in terms of being a leader. Um, and then those are things that, you know, obviously I think when the Jaguars start playing, you know, they start training camp or whatnot, um, I think it's something that fans are going to be a fan of. Yeah, well, I think, too, you know, I, I think it's a, not a direct knock necessarily on Blake Bortles, but it is a knock on Blake Bortles. <laughs> it is. It, it's, yeah. it's this whole thing the last five years was not necessarily to say all these offensive players were so great that we were just waiting for Blake to come along. But I think it speaks to the quarterback position. You want the quarterback position to own it. You want to know that he's the guy. You don't want him to have to fight uphill, like I always say, to be the guy. And Blake had to do that. Blake had to do that, one, because he was learning the game. So he wasn't the smartest guy out on the field in terms of IQ, knowledge, experience. And I'm not saying from a, a, a book smart thing. I'm not saying Blake Bortles was dumb. I'm just saying Blake Bortles had stuff to learn in the NFL that if you were a seven-year player, if you were a Mercedes Lewis player, you knew these things already. These things were fast for you. If you were a veteran lineman, you knew these things. Veteran running back, Chris Ivory comes in. He knows these things maybe even before Blake. The one nice thing about 2017, I thought, was Blake had command of that offense to the point where he was telling Leonard Fournette where to go. Remember that? You'd see him line him up. And that was a little bit on Fournette because he probably didn't know the offense as well as he should. But I think that's the point they're trying to say is, hey, if you don't know this offense, don't go ask the QB coach, Scott Milanovic. Don't go ask John D. Filippo. Go ask number seven, Nick Foles. He has the answer. He has all the answers about this offense, and that allows them to, in meetings, have better meetings probably, in off-season workouts if they decide to throw. Well, it's like a regular practice because this guy knows the offense. And I do think Blake evolved into some of those kind of things, but I just think he was so green at the start in terms of football IQ, which was admitted by him and them. So I'm not making this up. I think that was a long way back. And now this is the benefit of having a 30-year-old quarterback who's played in three different systems and now another, well, not necessarily another system, but three different teams. He's experienced the ups and downs, and he knows John DiFilippo so well. I talked to somebody today. I said, you can't overrate this enough.
it's underrated right now how much we're talking about that relationship. And I yeah. think that's what Doug Marone was uh, talking about. And I think that will be a key. Now, that doesn't win you football games. It just allows things to be in sync and in rhythm and come along quicker, potentially, if you have that. And, and you know, playing you know playing defense on the other side of the ball, when we had Puzz, I mean, you could bounce any question you had about the installation off Puzz, and he would answer it, which beat the heck out of going to Joe Cohen. He's probably going to chew you out for not knowing the defense. So it does help to have that guy in the locker room, that guy on the field that, that can relate all the information to you. Because then, you know, it's, it's almost like he's your equal as opposed to going to a coach where it's like, well, I want to ask this question, but I'm nervous because I don't want to get chewed out. Well, so. is Miles Jack that guy? Let's talk about that coming up next because Doug Marone talked highly about Jack. We'll have it next on ESPN 690. Hey, let's stay on the Jags from the Jacksonville Sports Tavern here on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Hope you're checking us out on ESPN 690 AM or on the stream, ESPN690.com. And as always, we say hello on the video portion on Twitter at Brent A.S. Jacks, on Facebook at ESPN 690, and on Twitch, ESPN 690 Jacks, and also check out our YouTube channel, which is called Action Sports Jacks. And you can also check out some of the stories that we've done um, via the YouTube channel, if you wish. And uh, not just for uh, radio, but also on TV, if you've missed them over the last couple of weeks. We actually have a story we're doing real. The story we did on Doug Kidd, who works at TBC Sawgrass, had a kidney transplant. If you haven't had a chance to catch that yet, uh, didn't see it on CBS 47 or Fox 30, it's doing really well on Facebook. Uh, you can check out Action Sports Jacks on Facebook as well, and I think it's on the YouTube channel. But... Um, uh, that one's a pretty cool story about two pretty cool people in Jacksonville. So if you haven't had a chance to see it, uh, I invite you to go do that uh, on uh, the Facebook or YouTube channels for Action Sports Jacks and ESPN 690. Let's stay on the Jags right now as uh, the NFL owners' meetings continue. Brent Martineau, Austin Lane, Justin Cousart. And let's hear from Doug Marone right now because he was talking uh, about a bunch of different topics. You mentioned Chris Conley, what he had to say about him. I thought that was good. You mentioned Nick Foles. I think we've heard that a little bit, but he reinforced it again. And and I like what he's doing and being consistent with his messaging about Nick Foles and, and what kind of player and investment that was for this organization. And, you know, it could help the locker room. The big picture here is Nick Foles, if you know that's your guy, you don't have the temptation of a split locker room where if they had brought Blake Bortles back or uh, maybe at times over the last couple of years with Blake Bortles, not everybody was all in on Blake Bortles, not even outside but not inside the building as well. How do you fix what happened in that locker room a year ago? And, well, Doug Marone goes to the word ownership, and I'm not talking about Shad Khan, and he also goes to the word accountability. Here's Doug Marone earlier today. I'm a firm believer, and maybe because I played, you know, the coach gets up there and says, hey, this is your football team. You know, this is your team. The guy's in this room. But yet... The head coach makes every decision and do that, and you know you're sitting there. Well, it's, it's our team. Why can't we do this? So I really believe in that the players have to have some type of you know ownership, and you know, and, and, in a big way. But you know, you have to be open-minded. You have to you know understand what you know. Why do we have these boundaries? Why do we do it like this? So you have to have these communication and discussions. You know, what do we want to be and what do we want to look like? Everybody knows what they want to do uh, as an end result. Every time that people get together, whether it's April 15th or if you're a new coach a week or two before or the first day of training camp, people are talking about the same thing, right? We're going to go out. We're going to win a Super Bowl. Well, what's going to make it different? 
Well, it's that journey, that how you're going to prepare. And then obviously we know about injuries and players, but you know you want to get everyone on the same page. You want everyone to have some ownership on how we're going to prepare this football team to get ready to play. Because the more ownership you have, the more accountability you're going to have from those players. As Doug Marone earlier today, uh, courtesy of Jaguars.com, as he told an entire group um, there at the owners' meetings. But uh, Jaguars.com doing some good stuff out there in Arizona. And uh, we'll hear more from Doug Marone in a moment. But you've been in many a locker rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, we always say this, 53 guys, different backgrounds, sometimes different agendas, a lot of egos. It, it's, it's not easy. Um, is there a common thread of good locker rooms? Is it just winning? I mean, because to me, <laughs> I feel like it's a lot about winning and yeah. losing, which shapes locker rooms. Uh, because like the rest of the world, when things are going right, we all smile. When things are going bad, well, it's somebody else's fault, or yeah. uh, I don't feel good, or I'm miserable, or, or you know, you bring everybody into the fold. What's it like in a locker room, good and bad? Well, obviously, I've had a lot more bad than good, I guess you would say. Um well, you're good on this topic, then. Yeah, no, no, for sure. But so, I'll say it like this. So, when I was with Kansas City, obviously, when I got released, uh, they actually had a pretty good season. And the next year, I mean, they did really well. So, from that perspective, and it was one of Andy Reid's. I think it was Reed's might have been his second year, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Um, listen, I have a lot of respect for Andy Reid and how he handles his business because he's not. And then Brent, I'm sure you can attest to this too. You've seen it on TV, and maybe if you ever met the dude. He's not a rah rah type of guy. He's not going to chew you out or anything like that. But he's a guy that knows the game of football and he knows how to relate to his players so much so that you know there's always times in, in, in like the meetings and whatnot like he'd make fun of his his style. He's like yeah, wearing the you know this is the same beach shirt for like the third straight day. It's training camp. Who cares? You know like just small things like that where it's almost like he never took himself too seriously. Now don't get me wrong, in an NFL environment. You need to have structure, you need to have discipline, but the good locker rooms that I've been a part of, that never felt that never fell on the head coach um, as a job for him to do. That that fell on like the Derek Johnsons that we had in the locker room, like the Eric Barriers in Kansas City. Like those guys monitored everything. All right, so it was never the head coach's job to try to keep everybody in line. That, that, that was the veteran leadership. That was, um, you know, the, the seasoned guys that had played and had, that had been in the system for a while and that have established the culture. The head coach's job, really, and, and granted, every head coach is different, you know, whether it's like a Sean McVay or Sean Payton, who's, it's their job to get the offense ready. You know, it's their job to install the offense and mm-hmm. make sure their quarterback's on the same page. Or whether it's like a defensive-minded coach, maybe like a, I'm trying to think of a, a good defensive-minded coach off the top of my head. Um even like well, I don't I mean like when, when Schwartz was in Detroit, it was his job to get the defense ready because I was with him in Detroit as yeah, well. Marvin Lewis was that side of the ball. Ma- Marvin Lewis, exactly. So I feel like the more they can focus on Bill the Belichick. X's and O's, yeah. Bill, I mean, <laughs> Bill Belichick, obviously the biggest one. So I feel Sorry, like Bill, we forgot about you. I know, man. So I feel like the more that the head coaches can focus on those type of details, the X's and O's, and not have to worry about and I don't say babysitting, but you know, obviously keeping guys in check, keeping guys in line, and leaving that up to the, the, the vets on the team, I feel like the more success you're going to have. Now, I think a big problem in Jacksonville last year was when things weren't going right and the team wasn't winning, we didn't, the, you know, like there wasn't a lot of vets that, that could take over and be like, we need to right this ship right now. We need to do things this way. Like, nobody, you know, was really stepped up. And the guys that were counted on to stepped up really kind of stepped down and actually were more distractions than anything. So from that perspective, I think, you know, if you bring in Nick Foles, you bring in that leader, at least that's going to be another guy that's going to be another piece to your puzzle that can, you know, turn the leadership around, that, that can lead by example. And granted, it's going to be hard, I mean, again, because 
listen, we're talking about Nick Foles being a leader and whatnot, and that's great. But he's, he's, he hasn't been in Jacksonville for too long, and he hasn't been part of this culture for too long. So as a quarterback especially, it's going to take him a little bit too to get accustomed to everything, that you know, how things operate, because this isn't Philly. This is a new system. This is going to be a new culture for him. So I think once he establishes that, then the rest of the pieces can fall into place. Well, it's interesting. You know, you bring up a good point. And, and I think the this was something under Gus Bradley that was talked about a lot, you know, like especially as they rebuilt this thing. And it was like the team, the locker room at year three and year four, like the same thing Doug Marone was talking about. This is what I find funny sometimes in, in coaching. And for, you know, you can only do it so many different ways. But they talk about the same stuff. And I remember Gus Bradley talking about ownership. Like the, these guys got to own, they've got exactly your point, right? And coaches talk about that. Andy Reid probably talked about it. Everybody talks about it. Because you need that locker room to be like, hey, I think it was, I think it was Gus one time said, you know, you need eventually the locker room to be like, Coach can be yelling at you. Somebody's going to step in and be like, Coach, we got this. Mm-hmm. You know, basically, like, we got this. And then they take over and say, here's what we need to be accountable about, whatever situation that might be. But you have to be able to do that. Well, year three and year four under Gus Bradley, I think they were just aching for somebody to do it. And they still were so dang young that they couldn't do it. I mean, that's part of it. This is like the only thing that went wrong under Gus Bradley. But that was part of it. Like, they just didn't have that. And part of the reason is they didn't go get those 30-year-old players. They said, we're only going 24, 25, 26-year-old players. One of the yeah. big mistakes they made in building that thing in the first couple of years was not getting the guy that's 29, 30, 31 because, well, they're a little too old. Well, the Daryl Smiths of the world, right? I always say the Cliff Averills of the world. Those guys would have been able to rein in some oh, of the young guys and pull them along and say, hey, we got this a little bit, right? And they never were able to do it and never were able to find success in doing it. And I don't think anybody tra- – Kelvin Smith showed signs of that. Puzlesny is Puzlesny, but Puzlesny is still a lead-by-example guy. Mercedes Lewis, a lead-by-example guy, not rah-rah, not very vocal. And so I think that was one of the problems. Well, a year later, Calais Campbell comes in. And now you add Puz and Mercedes Lewis to a vocal guy like Calais Campbell who had the respect – and I think this locker room was, like, yearning for somebody like that. Like, man, show us the way. Somebody show us the way. Uh, we obviously don't know what the heck we're doing because we just went 3-13 and 13 again. So somebody, you know, they didn't say that, but it was almost like it was implied. Like, man, we can't wait to have this guy. Look at his resume. He's a fantastic player. He knows what's to, how to get to a Super Bowl. He's been there. He didn't win it, but he knows how to get there. And he's learned from Larry Fitzgerald and all these other guys. So there was a lot of respect. So I think that helped itself in 2017 and I was a big part of it I think these guys rolled that coat said come on big big brother let's go for the ride well last year I think it was a little different I think all those little little brothers if you will right the little siblings that had followed Calais Campbell and Mercedes Lewis and Puzz well they looked up and they said you know what we just made it to the AFC championship game we just went to the Pro Bowl look at us we are good we don't need these guys anymore well Puzlesny retires Mercedes Lewis doesn't get re-signed and now it's Calais Campbell kind of by himself and you've got this locker room full of a lot of uh, swag and they're saying we don't Calais, I get it. We needed you, lad. You know, it's, this is like my interpretation. Again, they didn't say this, but this is my interpretation of how it kind of went. It's like, well, we got you, man. We got this. We got this. We got this. We got this. Well, 
they proved last year that they still need the big guy around, the big brother around. They still need some of that veteran leadership to show them the way and pull them out of a spiral because those guys did not have it. They did not figure it out. And maybe this year, with another year of experience and going through the bad thing again, maybe they now have figured that out and will lean on some of the veterans, the Nick Foles, the Calais Campbells, and others. You know, when it comes to coaching, there's two types of coaching. There's the old school philosophy, and then there's the player coaching. I mean, a good example is Pete Carroll. I actually spent some time in Seattle because I was getting ready to sign with them a couple times, actually. That's a story for another day, but I had a couple teammates that used to play in Seattle, too, like D'Anthony Smith, for instance, and he always said, like, listen, Pete Carroll's the ultimate players coach. He's the ultimate happy-go-lucky guy. But what the Seattle Seahawks had in that locker room when they were dominating, they had Richard Sherman, they had Bobby Wagner, they had Cam Chancellor that held guys accountable, where if you messed up, you're going to hear about it from those players. All right, uh, Miles Jack talk and joint practices. Do you like them? We'll talk about it next on ESPN 690. Oh, yeah, we got a little baseball tonight here in Jacksonville, Florida. Florida and Florida State. Someone trying to find a little mojo on the diamond. These two programs, usually two of the best in the country, struggling. Right now in the uh, baseball world, but they play tonight, 6 o'clock, at Bregan Field at the baseball grounds here in Jacksonville. Looks like close to a sellout, if not a sellout. I know standing room only, so does that count as a sellout if it's standing room only? I feel like it does, right? Doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, big crowd. How many people can stand in... Like in a, in, a, in a space. Well, I don't know once, you, yeah, the stand, once you take up all the seats, it should be a sellout, right? Yeah, exactly. But then if you're standing room only, you got to bring the fire marshal in. Fire code. And that's a big process, which they don't want to do, I'm sure. <laughs> hey, we are at Jacksonville like Sports Tavern. Come on out. They got a band playing in there, man. Yep. Break out the baritone sax. Break well, out the guitar. Well, I'm not going to lie. Actually, I, uh, I saw an alto sax in there. Uh, I haven't played the alto in a long, long time. But, I think we uh, might have to set no, something up no, here. No, no, we're all good. Dude, you, no, you have to understand. Have you ever been in a band before or not? I was in the drums in seventh, uh, in the percussion. Percussion. Sorry. Yep. In seventh grade. Triangles, and, toms, all right. Like, I have done some things that I'm just bad at and yeah. failed at. Band was one of them. Playing the drums might top everything. <laughs> Playing the drums, I like. Like they, it was one of those deals, you know, where you're like you're the kid like uh, playing ball and they like you know they, they love having you, man. We love you. Not yeah, yeah, we, careful. Good, good kid, but. You're really not that good. Like maybe you should try something it's else. For you. Kind yeah, of kid, yeah, you know? I got gotcha. you. That was me and band, man. I kind of almost could feel them saying, you sure you don't want to do anything else? <laughs> like, like Chorus, maybe pick up right. another sport. Yeah, can you sing? <laughs> maybe art. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, anything. Can you do anything else? And uh, seventh grade, I played the uh, – we had seventh, eighth, and ninth grade middle school. Yep. So seventh grade, uh, I played the drums. And you know, you got you to gotta realize, my mom's a professional violinist. No kidding. Yeah. So That's impressive. We got music in the family. Dude, all right. How, how did so, you get you on the violin back in the day? So my mom's a violinist. My sister could sing a little bit, you yep. know, yep. like not a, like okay. I mean, she's not gonna be an American Idol, I don't think, but she thought she could be. Uh, <laughs> Shots but fired. It, so we got a little music in the family, and like, so I almost felt like even I'm like the black sheep when you it are. comes to music in the family. You are. And uh, bottom line, end of the story. It's a long story, and I couldn't even do a drum roll. Oof. Like I, a baby drum, a drum roll, roll man. man. Like I really well, could. I could not. I just don't have good rhythm. I, I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. I, I just, that tempo, so, I, none of it. And well, so I lasted about whatever it might be in band, a semester. I gave it a whirl, and then 
I had to go find like uh, dodgeball or something. All right. Well, getting back to my point of asking you if you were in the band is I wanted <laughs> to reiterate the fact that so when it comes to the woodwinds, especially, you know, like if you play like the clarinet or the saxophone, they all have the mouthpieces, and there's a reed, yeah. and then the reed is a, a wooden reed. Piece I know that. That, 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 that you vibrate it, and that's what makes the noise and whatnot. It makes the sound come out. Well, I'm not just gonna get on some random dude's, you know, mouthpiece and reed, and then like play nah, his whatever, play man. play the saxophone because there's a there's germs, and you know there's a all right, we're getting thumbs up for some Gator fans. What are you, Howie Mandel or something? Uh, it might be when it comes to playing pe- other people's uh, instruments. instruments. <laughs> yes. That's going to be a button, I'm sure. <laughs> Nicely button. done. I love how you call it. That's going to be a button. Yeah, well, I think because the button, like, you know, Coos can press it and be like, yeah, it pops up. Yeah, call here's the, the thing. First of all, Coos has to record it. I know. It's or go point. get it. Then Coos has to be listening to the show to be able to drop it. Or just put effort into it. Let's, yeah. <laughs> and, and it just doesn't seem to happen a lot yeah. at times uh, yeah. uh, with Coos back there. But he does have this button ready because we are at Jacksonville Sports Tavern. It's 4 o'clock hour here on a Tuesday, and we got a little baseball opening week in Big League Ball 2. It is happy hour of one time. Wait, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, should I say it in my baseball announcer voice since we're outside the stadium? You do it in your jumbo shrimp voice. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to need you to grab a drink, get a beer, and tip your star tender. There you go. Everybody comes oh, man. running over That was okay? rough. Yeah. No, I definitely didn't inhale right because that was a rough one. Get some water. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. I see it. And here they they're coming. That's right. Here come the fans. Here come the Gator fans. Yep. <laughs> hey, uh, Coos, very nicely played, by the way. Sometimes I feel bad. Do we make fun of Coos too much? Absolutely not. Oh, okay. Nope. Not even close. Well, I feel really like the job the of the producer is to get made fun of. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, I don't know if it's like I label it that. I just think I label it Coos. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, fair. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I have had family and friends reach out to me and say that I'm too mean to cruise, but <laughs> it's just, it is what it is. Because it's like I always say, man, if I'm not, you know, if I'm not talking smack to you, that means we're really not friends. Brent, I do it to you too sometimes, uh, man. I'll post well, listen, I mean, I'm going to drop something that uh, wasn't very nice the other day on you. Oh, that's all good, when man. When we're out here. Oh, that's uh, all fan good, fest, man. But yeah. it just kind of happens. It is what it is. Fun. chops on the show. And here's the thing. I, I took what you guys said about Izzo to heart. If you guys were just, you know, waving me off, then that means there you've you given go. up on me. Very good. Very good. Wait till we go Tom Izzo on you someday. Yeah. Well, I'm not. I'm sure Brent is. Right now we've been more Johnny Dawkins than Tom Izzo. Yeah. Uh, hey, we'll bring Coos back in the fold, talk a little NBA, because big NBA game tonight. We're going to also have Christian Brewey from down in Orlando. Uh, they're feeling it. A little buzz in the air about the Orlando Magic. That's coming up at 4.30. Uh, we're going to give away some Tim Tebow Celebrity Golf Tournament tickets in just a bit and also have a, a pair of tickets to tonight's game that uh, we'll give away in the 5 o'clock hour. But let's get back to Jack's talk and Miles Jack. Let's hear from Doug Marone and his conversation about Miles Jack. Now, we set this up a little bit with Miles Jack. A lot of people say he hasn't played the middle linebacker spot great. And they suggest, should he go back over to the strong side for the first couple of downs and then come back to the middle for passing situations? Or do the Jaguars look into potentially, if not this year, next year, unloading Telvin Smith, move Miles Jack to the weak side, and then have your middle linebacker? Uh, Well, they have a new middle linebacker, at least that has potential, on the roster. And Doug Marone was asked about Miles Jack, and I thought his answer was very interesting. 
Miles Jack is 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 um, you know it's always an interesting subject because meaning this the perspective I have on on Miles Jack seems to be so different than than like like everyone uh, else meaning media or people ask me questions about him you know I look at Miles Jack as you know gosh how lucky we got this guy that can play Sam Mike Will you know in the beginning I think you know Mike was a, situ- a position where you have to get, um, it's just kind of experience, you know, because you're seeing things at a different level. But look how quickly Miles picked that up and he was able to play at a high level. Miles is a guy that, in my mind, you know, you look at linebackers and you say, gosh, look at this guy. He's, man, he's big. And then all of a sudden, when third down comes, you have to take him out because he's so big he can't run well enough. Then you have those guys that really run well. You know, and you're like, gosh, you know, alignment are blocking him or, you know, he struggles to make a tackle. You know, we're fortunate to have someone like Miles Jack that he's big, he's strong, he's fast, he can tackle, he has great ball skills. And also, I, you know, when people say, you know, is Miles a Will, is Miles a Mike, is he a Sam? It's very difficult for me, you know, what is he? He's good enough to be any of them and be the best at those positions. Oh, there it is on Miles Jack. I thought pretty strong comments from Doug Marone, you know. And, you know, it's always, it fascinates me sometimes about, uh, you know, really what we do, but what fans do, social media. You know, these narratives are built, yet I think we dismiss, and, and it's fair to criticize. Their job is for criticism, coaches, GMs, front office people. And they are not perfect, and they've been far from perfect here in Jacksonville, too. But I do think we often mix up far from perfect and getting things wrong with flat-out stupidity and not knowing anything about the sport. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a big difference. Yeah. And so I, I find myself fascinated at times when there's narratives about a certain thing, on the Jaguars especially, because we're so close to it, and then you hear Doug Marone talk about it or clarify it from their point of view. And we've done this a lot over the years, and that's the beauty of being able to get inside that building day-to-day, especially during the season, and and sometimes you talk to coaches on camera, sometimes you talk to them off camera, and they shed light on some things. And again, that doesn't always make their thoughts right, but it gives you a new perspective. And I think Miles Jack is a clear indication of this. I think many people, if you polled them right now, would say, Miles Jack did not do a good enough job at middle linebacker. Well, I think what Doug Marone basically just said, Miles Jack can be a pro bowler at middle linebacker. He can be a pro bowler at strong side linebacker. He can be a pro bowler at weak side linebacker. Now, there's debate on which one he can be better at, but the guy is good enough to play at any of the three positions. Let me ask this one question. And you don't believe it. <laughs> would you, would, yeah, I, I really don't. So would you agree that Miles Jack is probably the best athlete on that defense from an athletic freaking nature perspective? Yeah, I would say because of exactly, size right? and speed. I mean, listen, Jalen Ramsey is a freak athlete. No, and, and he's but, yeah, dude's a stud. Don't get me wrong, but Miles Jack played safety and running back at UCLA, so that should tell you all you need to know. Yeah, right it's there. fair enough. I, I think just because of the size, people yep. don't make you don't build a guy like that to be yep. able to do what he does. So fair enough. Name, so think of all the defenses in the NFL right now. Think of any other spot where the biggest freak athlete is playing middle linebacker, and any any other team. And you know what? I'll do you one better. Name. Out of a linebacking core, name the biggest freak athlete in a linebacking core that's playing middle linebacker on any NFL team besides the Jaguars, and go. I mean, it's fair. Uh, what's Wagner play? Bobby Wagner. Bobby Wagner's an inside linebacker. So you'd say he's probably the biggest freak. 
when it comes to yeah, those? It's just the first one that comes okay. to mind. I mean, he's such a good player. Okay. But I don't. I mean, freaky athlete. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm saying just stud numbers. But he is a stud. Yard I mean, dash. He's a perennial Pro Bowler. He is. Uh, so I guess I would say Wagner. But okay. I, I, your point's a good one. Yeah. I think your point's a good one. What you're saying is those athletes, the guys that run around are on that weak side usually. Yeah. Do you know why? Because you can do a lot of things with them. And I'm not saying you can't do a lot of things at middle linebacker. Sure, you can blitz every once in a while. But in Miles Jack's case, and listen, I understand he didn't pa- he didn't rush the passer a lot in college. I think he only had maybe one career sack at UCLA, which is crazy to me. Uh, so he didn't have a lot of sacks per se. That's good homework by you right there. Thank you very much. But the dude has so many traits and, and gifts. And listen. We don't put a lot of stake in the, in the bench press, I say all the time, but he only bench pressed 19 times, uh, you know, at, at the combine, 25. So usually a prototypical linebacker, especially a middle linebacker where it's always downhill, usually they're in that 25 range. So what does that tell me? It, it tells me that the dude's a freak, of, a freak of nature, maybe not the most physical per se, but I mean, he is physical, but I'm saying from a strength standpoint, yeah. where you, you want to get him shedding outside. Blocks, yeah, so. shedding blocks or not. So why don't you get him outside? uses athleticism, rush the pass a little bit, maybe drop back in a little coverage, but you can do so many things with them that, you know, the possibilities are endless. I'm intrigued by your Miles Jack conversation, so I'm going to stay on it. That and joint practice conversation next on ESPN 690. Uh, even Punch and Judy hitter Brent Martin from the old Ashland University days could maybe get one out of the park today. <laughs> the wind is blowing out here in downtown Jacksonville as they get set for Florida and Florida State at the baseball grounds. Six o'clock first pitch. We are hanging out at the Jacksonville Sports Tavern right across the street. And uh, then we'll head on over. We'll do a little TV in there as well and update you on the baseball game. So uh, come on out say hello. We've seen some Gator fans. There's some right uh, back here at the Jacksonville Sports Tavern. In fact, the one just came up, up to you, Austin yeah, Lane. Yeah. we got another Murray State racer in town. We do, yeah. So um, a girl I went to school with, actually, at Murray State, her dad just came up to me and said, uh, you know, Jessica says hi, and that she works at the Jacksonville Zoo. So that? it's kind of a small world, man. It is a pretty small world. Yeah. I'm amazed that, like, Murray State, too, is not, you know, now walking down the street and seeing people in Murray State, I'm the same way at, with Ashland. It's like, <laughs> yeah, oh, sure. you've heard of it? Great. Yeah, I mean, like, Murray State, <laughs> we're talking about, a, I think enrollment's like 12,000 right now. So, yeah, not, not a very big school by any means. But every once in a while... You're going to see people, especially in Florida, it seems like, too, that migrate down south. Uh, yeah, people absolutely. That know, yeah, you get more people that, that recognize you, Brent. I can't take you anywhere. Yeah, it's hard to take me anywhere. How about the wind right now? I feel Aggressive. like we would be uh, blocked by the uh, the wall. But not even close. Not even close. I'm nope. telling you, they're going out the right field. You're a lefty hitter today. You're going yard. Right, for, let's see. Over, under, three and a half home runs today at the baseball grounds. What you got? Over, under. Over. Over. Under. Under. All right, free drink on the line for somebody. A lot of action. Going Austin's on. paying. That's debatable. <laughs> That's very debatable. <laughs> uh, oh, it, oh, it's not Jacksonville Sports Tavern. Oh, what is it? What do you want me to call it? That bar at the arena. That bar at the arena. We need some arena. new signage. <laughs> We're working on. It. All right, we'll All right. get it. That bar at the arena. That bar at the arena. But you might know it from Jacksonville Sports Tavern. So there you go. But okay. right next to the arena. It's that bar at the arena if you Google it. How about okay. that? Uh, well, that, that's good to know. We'll call it that bar at the that arena. That was not in the email uh, from now. <laughs> that was not in the arena. But, uh, I mean, that was not in the email. That's that right. was not well, in the hey, email. That bar at the arena makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Nobody really knows. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
you have to explain it a little bit. Uh, but everybody knows where you're at, right between the baseball grounds and the arena. So uh, very good. Glad to be here as the uh, the crowd builds. Got a band out here. Uh, a little baritone sax coming soon from Austin Lane. <laughs> Can't wait for that little drum roll from me. And uh, what's the name of the band? Fat Cactus. All Fat right. Cactus. Very cool. Is that the F-A-T or P-H-A-T? <laughs> all right. <laughs> We're getting it all straightened out here uh, at that bar at the arena here uh, on ESPN 690 as we take Action Sports Jacks on the road uh, once again. I want to get back to Miles Jack, yeah. this conversation. Okay, with what you said, and I thought you brought up some really good points from a strength issue. Now, listen, he can be a violent player, but I understand what you're saying in terms of strength, middle linebacker, shedding blocks, mm-hmm. all those kind of things, throwing people aside. I mean, you do think middle linebacker, and I envision a Paul Puzlozny type of guy, right? Yeah. This Herculean type of guy. Uh, and and Miles Jack is a strong man. He's a violent player at times, but I do put him in the category more of athlete and agility than I do just pure strength and size. And, tradi- and I want to say traditionally, predominantly, those athlete and agility guys are the guys that like, on the, the weak side or the strong side. I mean, listen, if you look at some of the greatest linebackers in history, like the, like the Ray Lewis's, the Brian Urlacher's, you know, guys from like when I played and whatnot, um, you know, they weren't the most athletic guys, per yeah. se. I mean, you know, every once in a while they could drop in his own coverage and they, they could take the running back possibly or take a tight end. But from the perspective of, you know, an elite athlete, they were more of a, you know, they're more of, like, I guess, like a mentality standpoint where they, were, they weren't afraid to take on blocks, obviously. They weren't afraid to shed. I mean, they, they played downhill whatnot. I mean, look at Puzz. You know, Puzz arguably is probably the best middle linebacker in Jaguars history. Would you agree? Or somebody else sticking out at you? I mean, Daryl Smith would be on the list. But, but, but yeah, but but Daryl Smith. I mean, so yeah. I, I mean, I guess it'd be like one A, one B. You yeah. know, because I mean, Daryl Smith and Puzz played next to but each other. But I think so. so. Yeah, I mean, I would yeah. say Puzz. But the, the things that they both had in common. Daryl Smith was a, a pretty good athlete in his own right. But listen, Puzz did a lot of great things well. But the last thing I wanted to see Puzz doing was covering like a Darren Sproles or like you know, yeah, yeah, c- yeah. covering guy in coverage yeah. uh, on a wheel route. That just wasn't his forte. Why? Because he was a middle linebacker, and you shouldn't ask a middle linebacker to necessarily do that. So, from the perspective of Miles Jack, listen, I get that he's gonna be, he, he could be a great middle linebacker. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I think the kid's a football player. You know, I think you could put him at safety. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. Just like you did at college. But I think from a perspective of you have to ask yourself, with the talent that you have, where is it best suited? And with Miles Jack, I, I see a guy who maybe isn't necessarily the, the strongest guy in terms of, you know, press and kind of trying to get off blockers and whatnot. Sorry, there's really bad wind right now. Just trying to get off blockers and whatnot. They say it's never as bad on the radio as it is in our ears. Well, it so. feels bad in my ear right now. <laughs> it feels bad in uh, my ear. So we're talking about a guy with Miles Jack and his speed. I think that that could be used more maybe like as an edge rusher every once in a while or just, you know, blitzing it a little more or just, you know, dropping back into coverage. I mean, with Miles Jack, I feel like it's a guy you want to play sideline to sideline. And we're talking middle linebacker, you don't always get to do that. Yeah, well, and listen to some of the great plays that Miles Jack has made. You see him chasing down a running back uh, on, a, on a zone stretch play. Uh, you see him on that New England play where Miles Jack wasn't down, chasing down a guy, yeah. right? Uh, and now, are they fit? When he plays middle linebacker, is he, does he get all the right fits? Does he get everybody set up the right way? That's the other part and, of it. And that's that, most probably important. That's most important. That's what Puzz was so great at, yeah. right? And that's why they moved him back there, even though they were trying to mess around and put Miles Jack in. And they said, no, this isn't going to work because Puzz is way better at getting everything organized and set up. So, all right, 
end of the story here is where do the Jags play him? I understand where you think he might be better at. But the bottom line is they have a guy who had a Pro Bowl on his resume on the weak side in Telvin Smith, and he can't play anywhere else. Telvin Smith is at the weak side. You can't play him at strong side. You can't play him at middle linebacker. So there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They just bring in Jake Ryan. And now we don't know how good he's going to be. There's, There's optimism with him. But he's coming off big injury, and is he going to be able to play that position even better than Miles Jack? So where do you see – I just think it comes down to middle linebacker or strong side on the first couple of downs for Miles Jack. I think weak side's eliminated, at least for this year. When it comes to Jake Ryan, too, as well, you know, everyone's saying, well, he could be the starting middle linebacker, and I'll tell people to pump their brakes a little bit because when he was in Green Bay, while he is a great run stopper – um, when it comes to, in terms of pass coverage, he has struggled, you know, from that in the past. Now, granted, I'm, it's something he can improve on. But I remember Capers, and I think it might have been Ryan's third year, if I'm not mistaken. Capers actually had his own little—he uh, he had his own little defense installed where it was a, when it was a nickel. Ryan would actually come out and they actually brought a safety down to play middle linebacker because they didn't have much faith in Jake Ryan, uh, you know, being a, being in pass coverage, which can be a liability, especially with these days too, with, with the way offenses are set up. Where if you're a nickel. You know, I mean, they could still run the ball. It's it's not out of the realm of possibility, especially with teams like the Rams and even the Kansas City Chiefs. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see with Jake Ryan going forward just how good he is in pass coverage, see if he's improved at all. Well, and by the way, the, nothing draws the ire of the fans watching tight ends run down the field on the middle linebacker. Right. You know, and, it's not, and it's not running backs. It, it just uh, and what. I, what I always think, like Puzz, obviously, everybody's like, get him out of there, get him out of oh, there. Yeah. You could argue down the stretch, the last couple of seasons, Puzz played his best football of his life. And people are like, get him out of there, get him out of there, he can't do it anymore, he's terrible. Well, I think sometimes they get exposed, and it's not even their fault on some of those, whether it's the safeties. You know, we, we always assume whose fault it is. It's the guy chasing we don't always say, well, somebody else should have been in that spot helping out. That wasn't the design of the defense or whatever it might be. And then at times, like you said, Pozzolzzi did struggle uh, in certain coverages, in certain situations. I just think it always looks like it's that guy chasing down. And Puzz looked like that a lot at times over those few years, especially when they were giving up a lot of explosive plays uh, with this defense. All right, I want to shift gears real quick, and Gary can help us get us there. Gary, uh, we'll welcome you in here on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 because I want to shift the joint practices. John Harbaugh said today that they're going to try to practice with the Jaguars, so the Ravens and Jaguars, but they have to wait till the NFL schedule comes out first. What's your thought on the joint practices, Gary? Good afternoon, gentlemen. Where, where are my uh, Kings ranked, Brett? Oh, boy. Um, I'll have to look it up. I, don't, okay. I didn't look... Uh, I mean, what's happened to their baseball program is better question. Forget about where they're ranked. <laughs> They'll be all right. Uh, uh, the uh, the Dolphins are doing joint practices with the Bucks, correct? Uh, yeah, sure. You know better than me. If they already, how could they already announce it if they don't know the schedule? For practice? For practice? Yeah, because what happens is usually teams won't joint practice unless they're playing each other in the preseason. Yeah, and, and we don't know who's playing who yet. Well, so so a little research behind it. They have announced that they would like to do it, but there's nothing official yet, obviously, because the schedule hasn't come out. Yeah, I just hope the Dolphins make the trade when they when they get together with. Uh, so they can move up. Uh, what about that contract that the Degrom signed? Pretty good, guys. Yeah, it's a good one. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate your thoughts. Uh, By the way, Miami is not ranked in the top 25. How in the world is Miami not ranked in the top 25 in college baseball? 
I mean, that's unbelievable that that's not the case. It's all they do. They, li- they live and breathe baseball in South Florida. I mean, you don't even have to go recruit. Uh, it's unbelievable baseball in <laughs> South Florida. Come on, Miami. Let's go. You should be better than that. Uh, but they've struggled, too, in uh, recent years. Uh, did bring up Jacob DeGrom, another good thought. Get uh, get to that a little bit because I was going to do it in ball and fall, and so I'll expand upon uh, the Jacob DeGrom stuff. But the joint practices, as players, do you guys like those? Uh, yes and no. Because yes in the fact that obviously during training camp, during the dog days of summer, you get tired of hitting up with your own guys all the time. You know, so when I, when I was on Jacksonville, we played, uh, we didn't play, but we practiced against, it was a couple teams. We Falcons. did a uh, Falcons, uh, yeah, it was Atlanta every single time, actually. So we did it at Atlanta, and then we did it in Jacksonville as well. So from that perspective, yes, it, it is nice to hit some other people for once and get some more looks and whatnot. Uh, but from the perspective of you actually have to give a little more effort. I mean, I don't want to say you, people are slacking out there in training camp. But obviously, you have to put two chin straps on when you practice a different team, just because you're not, you're not trying to get embarrassed in front of everybody like that. So, from the perspective of training with other people, training other teams, I do enjoy it, yes. But it also kind of sucks because then you have to go all out because you don't want to be embarrassed. Well, I think the team, you know, I remember talking to Roy Miller once about this when you, you, I think you guys were practicing with the Falcons one yep. year, and Roy Miller was like, "Yeah, you know what? I don't really like it." And the reason being is there's always these young guys that are trying to make the team, yeah. And part of that is they go overboard. And the veterans know what you got to do. They already know they're on the team. They're not going to – while you still want to put effort like you're talking about, they don't go over the top, mm-hmm. and that's where the fights come from. It's usually like these young guys that are go- doing too much, and the veteran guys get pissed off and are like, enough. Yeah. You and, know? and that's where the – and then there's fights. Well, and, and, I was going like, to say, players usually don't really like that. We love that, by the way. Like, <laughs> we got to sign about. up with a fight every single time. Heck, yeah, man. You think it breaks up the monotony of camp for you. Yeah. What do you think it is about for us? You'll <laughs> see this year. When you go out there every day, well, I'm sure you want to fight. Well, I'm sure when me and uh, Evan Britton probably had, I don't know, like five or six fights during training camp every single year. So you are very welcome for that. You're welcome. We're going to let the wind do its thing. I know. And we're going to take a timeout. When we come back, Christian Brewery from down in Orlando joins us from WFTV. We talk magic and heat in a big game. Yeah, we're talking NBA. And we'll also give away some tickets as well still on the show. A lot more to come from that bar at the arena. <laughs> Florida, Florida State, playing at the baseball grounds tonight. Action Sports Jacks rolls on on ESPN 690. Florida and Florida State from the baseball grounds here tonight, 6 o'clock first pitch. We are at that bar by the arena. Or that bar at the arena. That bar at the arena. Bar at the arena. At the arena. <laughs> Come on and say hello as this uh, place fills up with orange and blue. Some Gator fans. We're the Knoll fans. They'll be around somewhere. Florida State uh, fans will be out. Florida's too, rolling deep right now, FSU. Florida Where are you guys at? rolling deep. Where I thought we might at? see more FSU, but I think Florida's rolling deep. Oh, <laughs> and apparently, uh, and I quote, we have a loser coming out the door because he's wearing a Florida State hat. But that was from them, not me, sir. <laughs> guy looked over here like I was talking smack to him. No. Come on, sir. It's, it's a Tuesday. I don't want to get any... <laughs> well, hey, I don't blame you. That was him. That was him. No, that was him. Wait, we're starting to we're starting to get a fight going here. I was reiterating the, uh, what he said about you. <laughs> All right. Anyways, wow. <laughs> Welcome back, Asher Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. And uh, my money's on you, by the way, Lane. Thanks, uh, hey, let's bring in Christian Brewery from WFTV in Orlando. Hey, Christian, we got a big Magic game. When is the last time you said that? 
Um, it's hard to remember. It's been so long. But uh, definitely the first time since Dwight Howard left. So it, it's been a lot of fun, and we're, we're in the middle of a tight, tight playoff race. Yeah, I mean, you guys are tied for the eighth spot with the Heat, if I've got it correctly. Uh, how, how Seriously, how big is this game, and how much will it dictate, do you think, uh, uh, the rest of the way, them making the playoffs or not? Yeah, well, they're a half game back right now of the Heat for that eighth spot. But, yeah, they win this one. Uh, right now they control their own destiny with eight games to go. So it's monstrous. Uh, they're actually only a game and a half out of six. So six, seventh, eight, those final three spots are still up for grabs. You got five teams fighting for those. It's the Pistons, the Nets, the Heat, the Hornets, and the Magic. So uh, three spots for five teams. And you know tonight's game is monstrous because the Magic can, with a win, secure the tiebreaker over the Heat. And you know, like, like I said, they're separated by a half game. So uh, a lot on the line. The Magic are coming off a game last night. They got a big win over the Sixers at home. Um, but the issue is, how tired are they going to be? You know, spent a lot of energy. Those back-to-backs are tough, and the Heat did not play last night. So as far as that goes, you say maybe the Heat have a little bit of an advantage. They're also at home, uh, but but both teams are honestly playing really well right now. Yeah, Christian Brewey with us from WFTV down in Orlando, and a big game for the Magic tonight against the Heat and, and really control a lot of their destiny in making the playoffs. And when you're 36 and 38, it's like really a big game? Well, this would be a big <laughs> moment for the Magic. It seriously would be. I mean, this is this is no different than prior to 2017 if the Jags had just kind of made the playoffs as a wild card team, you know, and, and then lost in the first yeah. round. I mean, it, it's a step. Heck, Heck, prior to 2017, would be if the Jags just got the 500. So um, it's it's kind of that they've been miserable. I mean, to me, Christian, I say this at times, and I know you live it a little bit closer because you're in Orlando. But to me, they are one of the most irrelevant franchises in sports, and they have been in the last seven to ten years just because they've been so lousy. And now they have they have some teammates on that irrelevant list, but. It's been that bad for Orlando. What would just a postseason appearance mean, do you think, in turning this thing and and getting it going in the right direction? Yeah, it'd be monstrous. I think the only reason they've been relevant in their history is because the ping-pong balls have fallen their way to get the top pick, whether it was Shaq, then Penny, uh, and then Dwight Howard years after that. And, of course, they made the right decisions You know, with Dwight over – uh, I'm at the local four, so so they made the right decisions when the ping pong balls went their way. But they, you know, had never really had something like this where they've gone from irrelevance and really just built it. And and that's what you know they went through four different head coaches. Uh, they've had two different general managers since Dwight left. And but now it seems as though they have the right people in place and they have the right head coach in place with Steve Clifford, who ha- has preached and preached and preached on defense. And while it's not the prettiest thing in the world and they don't have any superstars, they are one of the best defensive teams in the NBA right now. And they held the Sixers, who have Joel Embiid and you know Jimmy Butler. And I know Ben Simmons was out last night, but they didn't score 100 points for just the sixth time all year. So defense travels. That's what Steve Clifford said after last night's win over the Sixers. They hope to bring that defense uh, to the Heat and hopefully spoil the, the Dwayne Wade retirement party because he, he's been playing incredible lately. I think he scored double figures in his last nine, and uh, they're trying to send him out the right way in Miami with another playoff run, but uh, the Magic would love nothing more to, to play spoiler tonight. Hey there, Christian. This is Austin Lane here. 
you you mentioned superstars, you know, and I think when, when they gave Aaron Gordon that $80 million contract, I think they're kind of banking on him to be that superstar. Now, granted, in the past couple seasons, he has progressed every single year, but this year he's kind of stayed stagnant a little bit, hasn't really made that next step. What is the feeling in Orlando about Aaron Gordon? I mean, are, are fans and is the staff still pretty hopeful that he, he can kind of take that next step and be a superstar? Yeah, I think what we've seen this year from him is that kind of his points per game is a little bit down, but if you look at his, kind of all the other stats, they look a lot better. Assists per game, rebounds per game, his defense has been better. I think he's just been a better all-around player, and for the Magic, they don't need him to score as many points. Nick Vucevic, their center, who's really having an all-pro year, he was an all-star for the first time uh, this season, he's become the focus of their offense. And that's taken, I think, a little pressure off of Aaron. And I think that's been good. And he's figured out how to play a better team basketball. And that's led to more wins, which leads to more relevance and leads to more people knowing his name outside of just the NBA dunk contest. Uh, and I think <laughs> for a long time, that's the only reason people knew about him was you know, the tabletop dunk or dunking uh, thanks to stuff, the Magic Dragon, the Magic Mascot helping him out. Um, but if you watch their games and you watch him consistently, he's playing a much better team basketball than he ever has in his previous four or five years in the NBA. Christian Brewey from WFTV in Orlando with us. Big night tonight. Heat and Magic uh, separated by a half a game. But really, if the Magic win, they can they can creep up a couple of spots in the East as you enter the playoffs. And just getting in the playoffs would be such a victory uh, for the Orlando Magic franchise considering where they've been. And I, I really think how much of this is unexpected? Uh, just because everybody gets kind of in that malaise where, all right, we're just going to be bad again and wonder what lottery pick we might get. And uh, this this is a bit unexpected. I know it's 36 and 38, so it's not like all of a sudden they've won 50 games. But uh, it, it has to be uh, almost sneaks up on you a little how well they've played in the second half of the year. Oh, yeah. I think when they were in January, I think it was something like they were 17 and 29. So they played incredible right before the All-Star break. They went on a little run. And then they just went 5-0 and on their homestand. Uh, first time they've ever gone 5-0 and in the history of the franchise on a homestand. So uh, it certainly snuck up on a lot of people. I think when they hired Steve Clifford, it, people looked at what he did at Charlotte in his first year, and he was orchestrated a big turnaround. They went from a miserable franchise to a playoff team that year, but it was a lot of because they had Kemba Walker. And you looked at the Magic roster, and you're like, I, I, I don't see a Kemba Walker on this team, but what's happened is Nick Vucevic has turned into an all-star, and then they've all, we've also seen the growth of almost every player, which is something we hadn't seen over the last six or seven years here in Orlando. There was just no progress. The only progress you would see, unfortunately, would be when the Magic would let a player go or trade a player. Take Victor Oladipo, for example. Yeah. They trade him to Oklahoma City, and then he goes, and he's, now he's one of the superstars of the league, uh, despite his injury in Indiana this year. But Jonathan Isaac, a kid out of Florida State that they drafted and had ankle issues all of last year, and you're kind of wondering what's going to happen early on in the season. He didn't look that great. Now he's averaging double digits over the last two months of the season and can hit the outside shot at 6'10", 6'11". I mean, it's scary. You know, the comparisons are starting to come in about, oh, the way that he can shoot the outside shot at his height, Kevin Durant. Maybe not as athletic. But still, that length and that ability to shoot the outside shot, it, it's a little scary. And he's not the only one. You know, they, they just signed Michael Carter-Williams to a 10-day contract, the second 10-day contract 
He's come in and been a huge boost for them off the bench. Terrence Ross is having a six-man-of-the-year season. So uh, it's been incredible just the growth. And a lot of that has to – got to tip your cap to Steve Clifford, the head coach, because we weren't seeing that before. I'm, gl- I'm glad you're bringing up these names, too, because I'm seriously, if you're a, a casual NBA fan, a casual match fan, I don't think people could name five of them. I really don't. Like, you know, no, I mean, no, I, I, you, you... I don't think so. Michael Carter-Williams was the rookie of the year, I think, five or six years ago with the Sixers when they were horrible, and yeah. he's bounced around from team to team to team, and he's literally getting a 10-day contract. It's kind of crazy to think, you know, because you remember his name from when he was great with Syracuse, but uh, he hasn't found a home, and it seems as though, you know, he's come in, he's just busting his ass, and he, he's playing incredible basketball right now, and it's it's one of those kind of just gritty grinder guys you need um, to bring off the bench and play great defense. He had 15 points last night that went over the Sixers. But, yeah, you look at the roster, it's nothing like what you think about when you look at the Warriors or you're looking at the Sixers roster. But uh, they, they beat every team in the Eastern Conference. They beat the Celtics. They beat the Sixers twice. They beat the Raptors. They beat the Bucks. Um, so, you know, it, for whatever reason, Steve Clifford knows how to get all these guys no names if you want to call them that, the Evan Fournier's. And, um, you know, they, he, he's got them playing well. Yeah, and Jonathan Isaac, too, you brought him up, so I didn't have to ask you about him. But I don't know if you knew this. Florida State's now a basketball school. So uh, <laughs> they've done yeah. in the last once couple the years. Street, people for... Once the Bull Street came to an end, I mean, they're Elite Eight bound perhaps again. We'll see what Gonzaga does with them. But, yeah, they're, they, 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 he's turning them out. Leonard Hamilton's turning them out. Maybe Kevin Gelly's the next one. But Isaac, though, is one of those guys that even before this run the last couple of years, Isaac and, and multiple other players were tremendous talents. And so it, it really goes back. It's not just these last two years for Florida State and Leonard Hamilton. It's really been the last handful of years where they've been uh, getting guys that, that have really good games. And, and now they've just yeah. meshed it all together to make runs. Yeah, the uh, – yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, well, you know, we were talking about superstars before a little bit, and obviously one would say that Vic, Vic Vujicic is probably the biggest superstar in Orlando right now, and I don't want to get ahead in the preseason, I mean, in the, in the off season because obviously the Magic still have a lot to play for this season, but he is a free agent next year. Do you yeah. see the Magic re-signing him, or do you see him maybe taking a big deal maybe in like a team like the L.A. Lakers, something like that? Yeah, I, I could see that. Uh, you know, he went to USC, so I, I'm – that would not be out of the question if they were to come with a lot of money. Uh, the Magic have a decision to make with him and Terrence Ross, who are the, easily the top two keys for this season. The, the growth of Vucevic into an all-star and Terrence Ross coming off the bench has been monstrous. I mean, he can drop 30 in a game at the drop of a hat. He did it a couple nights ago against the Memphis Grizzlies. So I, I would think because Vucevic has been here so long, He's kind of established himself in this market. I think you can try and find scores elsewhere, but what he is, being a stretch five, a guy that can expand the offense, expand the defense, and open things for the Aaron Gordons and Jonathan Isaacs if they want to drive, I think you have to re-sign him. I, I, don't, I think it would be kind of surprising after the year that he's had if they didn't re-sign him. Uh, I know that, as you said, they spent 80-plus million on Aaron Gordon. And Nick Vucevic has honestly been a better player than Aaron Gordon has over the last four years. So I would be very surprised if they don't re-sign Nick Vucevic. But, you know, if the money just doesn't fit and he's able to get a monster contract somewhere else, whether possibly out in L.A. with LeBron James, uh, then it may just come down to a, a numbers issue where you can't re-sign those guys, a lot like we've seen in Jacksonville with the Jaguars in, in the cap there. And so 
I think it could be a numbers game. I think if they just could say, yes, we want to resign him, they would do it without a doubt. Christian Brewy with us talking Orlando Magic from WFTV in Orlando. You also see him on Sundays here during football season with the Jaguars up on the big video boards. And, uh, hey, I want to congratulate you, Christian, because uh, we just spent 12 or 14 minutes talking about the Orlando Magic. That sets a new <laughs> record in Jacksonville Sports Talk Radio over the last decade. Well, honestly, it may set a record in Orlando, too. It's unbelievable because the last six years, we, especially in March, we'll say that. In March, it's definitely a record because at the last six years, we've gotten to this point in the season, and we're looking to the draft as well, even down here. <laughs> good stuff, man. Appreciate it. Good catching up with you. And Boy, the Orlando Apollos are going to play. you got a lot of stuff to cover. Have fun down there in Orlando. All right, thanks, guys. All right, man. Appreciate you joining us, uh, Christian Brewey, uh, checking in. There you go. See more about it, hear more about it on the Driving Dish podcast with Coos, of course, when it comes to Orlando Magic. But they've got a big one tonight. Good catching up with Christian. Really good insight on the Orlando Magic. And uh, it is kind of a no-name team. But it's always mm-hmm. cool to see teams come from nowhere and uh, see where, uh, where they end up. We're going to take a timeout here from that bar at the arena. Next to the baseball grounds, Florida, Florida State, coming up at 6 o'clock, an hour away. We'll give away some Tim Tebow Celebrity Golf Tournament tickets. That's Saturday, and you can win some tickets. That's coming up next, and we do a little balling and falling right after this. Little Florida, Florida State baseball tonight. Have some fun at the baseball grounds. It's a beautiful night, but I like like the goosebumps here. A lot of wind. I'm freezing. A lot of wind. Where we are. We're not in the sun. And we are—we have figured it out. We are in the like there's just a wind tunnel. It makes no sense that there's this much wind where we are. We've got a brick wall. We've got another building with the arena right there because we're at the that bar at the arena. That and, bar at the arena. I mean, it just Which must one? be—it just that must bar. be coming around the corner, right? Yeah. I'm not good at science or whatever else that would be classified <laughs> under, but it must be coming around the corner. Um, yeah. And uh, and. It's pretty windy, but that it, is. And it makes it kind of cool. But it's a beautiful day in Jacksonville. It is. And the place will be sold out. This place is starting to pick up. Good to see all the Gators and Knowles fans here. People getting ready to go in the, the stadium an hour away from first pitch. Oof. And, again, we'll be there uh, for that one. I tell you what, Brent, you said it with this wind, man. It might be some uh, there might be some long shots getting hit. Maybe doing some yard work out there with this wind. Yeah, I a lot don't of know. home runs. I would think so. I don't know what the wind feels like out there. I mean, maybe it's protected a little bit. Uh, you know, by the, I think that would be, is that a facade? Nah, not really. That's not what that would be called. Um, that was really nice testing that my, word, really testing my, facade is a great word, but that's you, usually like, right that's here? usually what you hit, like, if a home run hits, like, the, the, the covered wall. What are you talking about? Well, yeah, just this whole area, this, oh. uh, the home plate area where, where basically where the seating is. I mean, the stadium part is, is what it would be called, but I wonder okay. if the wind's blocking that. From down there, you know, mm-hmm. or you really have to launch a ball to to get it up into the jet stream. I don't know, so we'll see when we get out to uh, to the field level. But over under is three and a half on home runs hit, and you still haven't told me if you're taking the over under. But you have to do that by the end of the show. Okay, well I'll keep analyzing and thinking about it, and I'll get back to you. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's like I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight if you don't tell me. I'll get back to you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Which one uh, is that? Uh, we had some thoughts on Miles Jack. When I asked the question, and uh, Jack Stan says, how often are we in base 4-3? This Miles Jacket middle linebacker stuff is so overblown. And, well, I think the answer to that is, by rule, 65% of the time, p- 
people are passing now. So you're in the nickel situation about 65% of the time. But there's still that 35%, and you never really do get into that nickel. Well, not never, but you get into that nickel situation less if you don't stop the run on first down. Exactly. Right? So yeah. you've got to still stop the run on first down. And when you, in your division alone, you face the Tennessee Titans twice. They're pretty good so, in the ball from the, what I saw. Well, the they're pretty good against the Jags. Yeah. <laughs> so pretty good. Derrick Henry. I, I do think that is important. But I think his point is right on. He's a three-down linebacker. So he's even if he goes to the strong side, Miles Jack, for a couple of downs or a down, he's still coming back to the middle on passing situations. So is it that big a deal? Eh, probably not. I guess it just depends if you want to get Jake Ryan on the field. And where does that? Where do you? Where are you best on first down? If you got to put three linebackers out there, and I'll, I'll say it again. Yes, I know the NFL is going towards more of a pass-friendly offense and more nickel defense. But I've said it before. I've said it again, and I'm gonna say it tomorrow, probably the next day. If you can stop the run and run the football, you're gonna win football games, and that's the bottom line. So while we may say, well, how many, you know, how many games and how many times are we gonna be in base, you know, four-three in, in a game? Well, maybe not that, but guess what? Maybe that dependable game where it's maybe the playoffs and we have to stop the run, that's when you're going to need him at that spot. So I understand by the, the point of saying, well, we're not going to beat it that much, but we still have to we still have to address it. It's still an important part of the defense, and we still have to, you know, we still have to address it, basically. Yes. And, uh, while Brendan's like, I don't know what you're doing over here. Well, this is me putting the battery pack on right All now. All right. I think. Doing good work. I don't here. know if we're even still live or not, but oh no, we're live. Okay. I just want to make sure that uh, the video thing. That there it is. It's charging now. Gotcha. All right. Mission accomplished. Good job on that thought. Finish up. I thought that was perfect. You're welcome. I uh, all right. Want to get to your pro day stories, but we got to go <laughs> yeah. falling first. Falling. Well, it's a little chilly out here, Brent. But let's go ahead and dip our toes into the MotoGP pool. MotoGP for all you uh, non-gearheads out there is actually Moto. Uh, Cycle Grand Prix, so basically motorcycles, and <laughs> and uh, so let's set it up with this. Jorge Martinez collided with Marion Calvo and ended up climbing to the back of Calvo's bike. So two guys, one bike. Usually you got a. Uh, I'm not gonna say anything about that. All right, so the two pulled off to the side of the track on the same bike, and that's when Martinez dropped Calvo with a haymaker. Uh, and the results of that haymaker, Brent, both drivers, or I should say both riders actually, both riders were suspended for two years now because of the altercation that took place over a, over a haymaker punch. Imagine being the guy that got knocked out where you got knocked out, and on top of it, you get suspended for two years as well. Huh. Yeah. And uh, That's, How about, there you go, there you go, uh, Eminem, that's why you don't get fighting. Well, I'm just going to say, if you guys are interested, just, uh, go on Google and type in uh, fight, you know, GP... Uh, Moto, yeah, Moto GP fight, Moto fight. Yeah, you should be able to find it. It's it's pretty entertaining, <laughs> especially like guys wearing like the big helmets, you know, and like they have like the like, like the suits and everything. It's just uh, it's kind of a funny scene. Uh, all right, my fallen. You know, what I'm a little tired of. I know they keep asking them questions, so I kind of have to be tired of. I'm already tired of Cliff Kingsbury. Oh wow, yeah, what's I'm already up? tired of him. Wow, what's so, up? Wow, well, the whole I I'm trying to. Is this a deke? Like the well, master decoy. And how do you think Josh Rosen? I know. All I, this? Well, again, I'm not. I'm not worried about the feelings of quarterbacks. Unless he knows. Remember, yeah, I'm on yeah, this. Yeah. Uh, I'm on this uh, agenda to stop worrying about the quarterbacks' feelings. Okay. But, I mean, they tweeted out months ago now that they Rosen was their guy, and now it's like he can't say anything 
I feel like he's playing against Kyler Murray, and he's propping him up like he's the best thing ever. And so I'm I'm a little over the whole Kingsbury and Kyler Murray deal. Uh, I think now this is a complete charade. I think he's just trying to leverage that number one trade, number one pick. I really do. Yeah, Yeah. I I think. I think he's just trying to pump him up, see what they can get for that that number one spot. The question is here, if Arizona doesn't take him, who else is? Like this could this could be a pretty decent drop. If you know, I mean, obviously Denver. I know teams need quarterbacks, right? The Giants, Denver, uh, the Dolphins, and the Redskins. Of no. But, Giants, I'm sorry. If you said Giants, Giants, yeah. Not, yeah. But it, say Haskins goes off the board at six, and Kyler Murray is uh, is still there after six. Uh, then who who's taking him? Would it be the Broncos? I don't know. I don't feel like John Elway might get Kyler Murray. Doesn't seem to fit. Do the Redskins go chase him? Do the Dolphins go chase him? Be be interesting to see. And, and could he have like a pretty good drop? And we're just overrating Kyler Murray this entire time. Like, so what? My point is, what's coming? Remember out of the combine, yep. there were these thoughts like, "Well, he's not very good on the whiteboard. He's not very good here. He's not. There are really no defenses. There's talk of that." And then you get the flip side. Well, the only team that's really pumping him up to me is Kingsbury <laughs> in Arizona. Yeah, that's the only team that said, "Oh my gosh, this guy's." I think he used the thing today. He said something like, "He might be one of the most talented ever." But Brent. To be fair, though, why would a team pump him up? Because then that's only going to increase his trade bait value. Like, if you're interested in Kyler Murray, the last thing you're going to do is going to be like, oh, well, this kid's like, you know, the best thing that we've ever seen, unless you're the Arizona Cardinals. Because if you're interested yeah, in true. Kyle Murray, you, you're going to go about your business point, and keep yeah. a low profile. Yeah, fair point. Yeah, Arizona's the only one in position to do it. And exactly. therefore, they pumped him up to the point where I feel like this is just a massive smokescreen. As do I. And I think they're trying to get out of that spot and, and say, hey, you should believe what we're, we're seeing. And I'm Cliff Kingsbury, and I'm like the new wave, and I'm the new mm-hmm. McVay, and uh, you know, you couldn't have me as a coach, but I'm going to give you some advice here. This guy's good. <laughs> and, listen, and somebody might fall for it. I don't know. And, and I'm curious to see, too, like, you know, there are talks of Haskins going to the Giants, I, and I've been on record saying I'm not sure that's going to be possible yet. We'll see. But also maybe Kyler Murray to the Giants. You have him, Saquon Barkley. You know, all of a sudden you're, you have a really exciting offense again. And, uh, yeah. you know, especially when you trade away Odell Beckham Jr., uh, you know, the next thing you need, and, and I, I know it doesn't win football games, but you need excitement in New York. Yeah, Kyler Murray and excitement does go together. I will give you that. And I, I'm not sitting here saying Kyle Murray's going to be a complete bust. I just He's going to put butts I, in seats. He will do that. I just don't think I would be on the train of getting him if I was a GM. Um, I'm fascinated with what happens in the draft with Arizona. That's going to be fun to watch. And could they keep Rosen? Or do they have to unload Rosen if they pick Kyle Murray? Could they keep Rosen just in case Murray's not good? I guess, but isn't that kind of a waste of a couple picks? I don't know. I don't. Hey, here's yeah. what I say, man. Can you waste a pick at QB? You can't have enough of them until you, you find you can, the right one. Well, yeah, I was gonna say you can waste. A I pick mean, you, yes, QB's in hindsight you can waste, yeah. but when you're picking number one, you only get so many chances. So, uh, fascinating to see what Arizona will do with Kyler Murray. But I'm tired of uh, Cliff Kingsbury already. Hasn't even <laughs> coached a game, and I'm tired of him. That's because we all have to ask them the same question, I guess, over and over. All right, Pro Day stories, and I'm giving two tickets away to Florida Florida State Baseball tonight. But you got to be here because i got them in my hand. It's coming up next on ESPN 690. Now, back to action. 
Action Sports Jacks with Brent Martineau on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. So is Coos excited about this bed music you're Let's listening to? Stand to next to you. Well, I mean, can I even say that? Is that a copyright? <laughs> what did you say? I, I was going to sing some, uh, well, the, the guy that's... Okay, so this is Jimi Hendrix, but it's not Jimi Hendrix. This is like a knockoff Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> this is like a stock photo Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> this is an audio stock photo of Jimi <laughs> Hendrix playing right now. Thank you, Justin Kuzar. Dude, when I heard it, I was like, we gotta put this in rotation. <laughs> I like it, actually. <laughs> of course you do. See, Why, like, you don't like it? No, I hate it. Because I mean, for bed music, I like it. No, I, I, I'd i rather just have Jimi Hendrix than this. Because, <laughs> like, what I hate about it is the fact that I know it's Jimi Hendrix, like, it's the Jimi Hendrix song, but it's not Jimi Hendrix playing. So it drives me crazy. Huh. All right. I'm tweeting right now. It says, uh, Pro Day Stories from Austin Lane. Pull up next to the fireplace. Oh, you put a lot of pressure on me here, especially in these windy Are these any good? Are these stories any good? Yeah. I mean, they're all right. I don't know. <laughs> it's not like I'm talking about war and peace here. I'm not like reading something of that. Well, but you got to oversell it. All right. Well, this Either is that you got to oversell it, or you have to this is undersell right up there it with, and overdeliver. This is right up there with, with with like a Dickens, with like a who's another famous author? I don't know. Whatever. Charles Dickens. There. There you go. You're stuck on one. This is gonna be yeah. It's gonna be like a TED talk as I'm trying to fight through this wind right now. It's gonna be, it's gonna be like a TED talk in windy conditions. TED talks awesome sometimes. I like them. Yeah. Yeah. By the Maybe way, one a lot of Florida, Florida State fans rolling in now. It's like I say that like. Dude, that's the game. Florida and Florida State. Of course, there's going to be a lot of Florida, Florida State fans. Yeah. But there's a lot of people now. Yep. Uh, Would you say in. there's more Florida fans right now or more Florida State You know, State it's interesting. Fans. It started off with no doubt more Florida fans. Yeah, but Florida but State's making a... But now I'm starting to see, so, ever, since you, ever since you uh, asked that guy if he wanted to fight, yeah. uh, now there have been more Florida State fans. Like, you brought the tribe with him. Well, I'm sure he made some phone calls, and here we are. But Brent, I, I'm not afraid to throw down, man. I don't think you are either. So we're all good. And Stewart's here now as well. So By the way, that guy was legit not happy. Deep. The guy that, oh, yeah, I know. He was legit not well, happy. Well, come on, man. <laughs> like, I was just joking around. And his, I know, he didn't, he well, really his, didn't get it. Like, he didn't, he didn't get, get the joke. Yeah, it is I mean, what it is. What are you going to do? Uh, hey, you know what? Like, it's I'm better not going to lose sleep about it. Well, so. you're not going to lose sleep because you probably yeah. could kick his ass. If I had said it, I might be a little scared going no, to my no, car. Don't worry, man. I got your back. It's all good. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. Uh, go give us some pro. pro <laughs> hey, by the way, tomorrow what a setup is, for this. There's tomorrow some pro day stories for you guys. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> and Thursday's pro day at Florida State. Gainesville one has a lot of intrigue because Jawan Taylor, Mel Kuyper Jr. mocked Jawan Taylor to the Jaguars in his latest mock draft, which would be snooze fest if that's what happens, and the Jags pick up a tackle. But it certainly is plausible and very much possible. But uh, I would say there's a little more intrigue in what's going on because Ja'Kai Polite's story is fascinating coming out of the combine. So there's some more intrigue, I believe, in Gainesville tomorrow than there is uh, for Florida State and Tallahassee. Although Burns, Brian Burns, is, is climbing the charts, it looks like, in a lot of these mock drafts, too, and some of the speculation of where he might land. Uh, that being said, what are these pro days like, especially if you're a Murray State racer? Well, it's funny you should bring that up, Brett, because I got some stories for you. And that's how you do a segue. All right, so... Uh, it's or kinda, not. It's, it's kind of set the scene a little bit here with these stories, so... Let's go back to my senior year. Uh, our head coach, Coach Griffin, got fired with probably 
I want to say three games left in this season. Coach Griffin, who ended up being part of the Jaguars staff yes, he as well. Was, he was a tight ends coach here, which was funny because I got to go against his guys every single day, which obviously there was some trash talking going back and forth. But that's another story another time. So getting back to Coach Griffin getting let go, I don't know the exact details of what happened, but one could say that it wasn't on good terms for the fact that he was just gone one day. Like he didn't say goodbye to the team. I mean, it was it was a, it felt like a rough breakup. Like see you later. Yeah, see you later. So from that perspective, we had that going on in, in the locker room already. Well, by the time the season was over, obviously I left for Pensacola. I went to go train for the combine, and then eventually played in the Senior Bowl. The bad omen of right next to Dr. Andrews' place. The bad omen of Dr. Andrews' place for sure. <laughs> yeah. So generally speaking, when we're talking about new coaches coming in uh, to a new collegiate program, usually they bring their own guys. So when I left Murray State, I wasn't expecting to see you know Coach Jay, who I had as defensive line coach. I expected all those guys to be gone, and I expected when I came back to Murray State, there would be a brand new coaching staff there. So yeah, so let's fast forward. So I play in the Senior Bowl, do well, do the Combine, do well. So I come back to Murray State, and I still had my apartment at the time from college. So uh, as far as you know, living, I mean, everything was set up there. I got back before Pro Day, about three days before Pro Day. So I had a little time to adjust again and everything, kind of get my feet you know, on the ground and whatnot. And granted, going into this Pro Day... Since I already had the combine at my disposal, I was just going to do the bench press. I didn't do the bench press at the combine. So my plan was to do the bench press, rerun the 40, and then obviously do the on-the-field drills as well because those are probably the most important part, right? Great. So keep in mind, the pro day isn't necessarily the biggest thing for me, but it is big to guys like a guy by the name of Taylor Lanigan, who was our starting safety, actually won the 100-meter dash in the state of Florida. Uh, fast dude, he was, I think he was like 6'3", ran about like a 4'5", 4'4". Hmm. So he ended up getting a try with the Buccaneers. A guy like Derek Townsend, who played a couple seasons with the Houston Texans at wide receiver. This was big for those guys, because this was the first opportunity, obviously, to showcase their skills. So this pro day was big for a couple reasons. Number one, I had to do the bench press and show I could actually lift weight. And another part was because we had other guys who didn't get a chance yet. So I come back to Murray State, and I, and I hit up Taylor. I hit up Derek. I'm like, all right, guys, we got a pro day coming up. Like, what's what's the word? Like, what's the coach staff talking about? They hadn't talked to the new coaching staff at all. When, what ended up happening was the fact that so our pro day was scheduled during spring break. Mm -hmm. So our, our new coaching staff comes in, and our new coaching staff could care less about the seniors. So they didn't set anything up when it comes in terms of pro day. They didn't have anything in place of like where the where the scouts and the GMs are going to meet. Like there was nothing in place. So now we're like in panic mode. This is the, once again three days out before the pro day. So me, Taylor, Derek, I think uh, uh, some other my teammates too. I think uh, tomorrow's there too as well. We had to go talk to somebody and figure it out. Listen, we got a pro day coming up and we're not organized. So we go meet with our academic advisor, Matt Kelly, uh, a sports advisor who's still the sports advisor to this day at Murray State, one of my close friends from the, the university. And he just basically says, listen, we don't really have a plan in place. You guys can scout locations of where to do this pro day because, and here's the real thing. So it was supposed to storm all week. Well, Murray State's a small university, so we didn't have like an indoor facility yeah, to go yeah. to, right? So we had a bank on it not raining so we could do our drills outside. Well, we had to have a backup plan just in case. So we started scouting locations around campus, ended up coming towards the basketball facility. Well, we had to ask, like, the head basketball guy if we could use the facility. And this is this is what we should be doing right now before a pro day. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is like a head coach's responsibility. This is somebody else's job. But we're doing it. So we ended up getting it set up where we're going to go to the basketball facility to do the drills if we have to. Well, now we have to go about getting, you know, like, the, the dummies and whatnot because obviously we do the drills. you got to have equipment. 
Well, our equipment guy was out of town because it was spring break. <laughs> So we Does had, anybody work at Murray State? That's what I'm saying. So we <laughs> keep in mind, like, usually this is like the head coach's job. Well, there's no head coach. The new guy came in, like I said, could care less about us seniors. So we had to go get the equipment. We had to, you know, unlock the door, get the bags and whatnot. So now let's fast forward to the morning of the pro day. And obviously the, the biggest nightmare would be the fact that if it started raining because then that means we got to go inside to a basketball gym. Well, I wake up the next morning, Brent, what happens? It's raining. Pouring rain. <laughs> storming. So we're like, oh, jeez, man. So obviously the, the, the bench press was the first thing. And it's funny because, you know, I was never the guy to take supplements really in college. I mean, I, I did take creatine because creatine is it's a good weight gainer. So I took creatine and whatnot. But of course, you know, being being the day of, of the pro day and me wanting to bench press over 20 reps because that, that was the big number at the time was getting over 20. I'm like, I'll take any edge that I can get. Well, enter my friend Taylor Lanning in the safety who had this supplement called Jacked 3D. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of Jack 3D, but it, there's a there's a few stories tied to Jack 3D that, uh, that I'll share periodically through the show. But uh, with this story, so usually when it comes to supplements, Brent, you know, like usually it's like extreme, you know, like muscle shredding results. Like, you know, it's always like exclamation point, exclamation point, like black box, get jacked. When it comes to Jack 3D, it was literally, you know, it was in a white label, and it just said Jack 3D, and that was it. It looked like a prescription for something. So immediately I'm like, the subtle card. well, yeah, so immediately I'm like, Taylor, is this stuff legal? He's like, yeah, it's fine. It's good. I'm like, okay, cool, cool. Well, Brent, there's a reason why I don't drink coffee and I don't do a lot of supplements in terms of pre-workouts because I told you a story before, like where I get so energetic as it is, the last thing I need in my body is more caffeine or some kind of other steroids, some kind of stimulant uh, to get me even more jacked up. So it said take one scoop, you know, in a 16-ounce bottle of water. Well, I took three scoops because I wanted to I wanted to bench press a lot. So what happens? I put three scoops in my water, I chug it, and immediately... I feel the results. Uh, my skin is starting to tingle. My eyes want to, like, I want to gouge my eyes out, and my heart is beating probably at 190 beats per minute. I'm like, holy <laughs> crap, can we, get some, can we get some weights lifted because I got to go right now. So I'm sitting in the locker room, and I'm getting ready, and thankfully by that time the, 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 the scouts are there now. And keep in mind, this is so unorganized. No one knows where to go. Our strength coach isn't there because I think we're still hiring a strength coach. So... You know, one of the scouts, like, literally got behind me on the bench. He's like, all right, you ready to go? I'm like, yeah. Because I didn't do any kind of warm-ups. I didn't know what kind of warm-up to do. Like I said, our strength coach isn't there. It was a mess. So, ended up doing 21 reps on the bench. Thank God. Like, all right, that felt right, great. You survived. But mind Probably would have only done 17 if you had one school. Exactly. But mind you, I'm still getting ready to have a heart attack. Like, my body's <laughs> not feeling 100%. Like, I'm just like, man, I got to burn off some energy. I'm feeling psyched up, ready to go. So by that time in the bench press, thankfully the rain kind of held off a little bit. It was still raining a little bit, but they're like, listen, either we go to the basketball gym, which would be a nightmare for doing drills and wouldn't make much sense, or we just go outside. And by this point, I'm like, yeah, let's just go outside. So I think it was the Carolina Panthers scout. Uh, I don't remember his name or anything like that, but he was the guy that was kind of spearheading this whole operation that kind of took charge. So he set up some drills. Um, you know, I, I did the 40-yard dash. Well, Doing the 40-yard dash, like I said, I took too many scoops of whatever I took and ended up literally exploding out of my stance. I kid you not, Brent, like, I was right up there with Clowney when it comes in terms of 40-yard <laughs> dash. Like, like my 10-yard split time might have been off the charts, but after that 10 yards, I literally tore every died. no, I tore every muscle in my hamstring, my quad, everything. Tore everything in my leg. I'm like, 
yep, well, that's it. And I'm like, yeah, I can't do any more. Like, I, I felt everything pop. I'm like, yeah, I did something messed up. The funny part about the, the whole Jack 3D thing, though, is the fact that I took some more my first day at training camp in, ja- in Jacksonville, ended up tearing my hamstring again. Long story short, so this Jack- was not an endorsement for Jack 3D. No, so long story short, with Jack 3D, it actually became banned a couple years later because uh, it was just like a stimulant, so you can't even take it anymore. But at the time, I could. So getting back to the whole pro day story, so yeah. It was a nightmare. By the way, though, at the time, that was legal is what you're saying. It was legal at the time. You could take a couple of scoops of that stuff and bam, there you go. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was legal for sure. And trust me, I mean, I I probably took in some illegal substances, too, that I'll get into stories later in my career in college. uh, It is what it is. No, I'm kidding. Statute of limitations. No, I'm kidding. But uh, getting back to the whole hamstring thing. So, yeah, so my pro day was literally shot from there. I got my bench press in, did a couple drills, and ran the 40-yard dash. Well, the other players, it started to pour rain again, so they didn't really get to showcase their skills at all because the the coach or the the scout didn't want to go to the gym to, to finish up the pro day. So, that was that. So the, they only got about 10 minutes of drill work, and that's all that they could perform. So thankfully, some of those guys still got their shots, but it was ridiculous for the fact that we had to kind of set up our own pro day. Uh, I took something that I probably shouldn't have taken. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, just, just an overall nightmare from a, from well, a stressful standpoint. Small school pro day yeah. uh, a little bit. And that's why some of these small schools like JU and stuff will go over to Gainesville for Gators Pro Day. Yep. Plus, go more scouts are there anyway. Yep. But it also speaks to the fact that that's bad coaching by those folks at Murray State because how you keep alumni in, yeah. you know, instead you, you separate yourselves from them where you should welcome them in. No, you know, it doesn't doubt. matter if they're outgoing seniors. That that was a big mistake by them. It was they might have got a nice little check from Austin Lane, and well, now they don't. Well, let's just say, so the, the, that coaching staff is not there anymore. There's new coaching staff there now that I'm really close with and everything. Okay. So, yeah, so from that standpoint. But you might not have wrote a check to the other guy. Exactly. Well, I've, I haven't wrote much checks at all. But. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I can't even write a check. I mean, I write huge checks to Ashland I don't, University. I don't know how to write out a check, to tell you the truth. And they still didn't play me enough my senior year of baseball. <laughs> you listening, coach? Shots are fired. We got Florida, Florida State coming up. I got some tickets if you want to stop by. I got two tickets. You can give them away. ESPN 690 rolls on. Next. Oh, I can't wait to see how many home runs go out of the baseball grounds with this wind, unless we're just in a wind tunnel and there's no wind is, over there at the grounds. I mean, it is remarkable. Yes. There's more wind here than there was at the Players' Championship. Yeah. I mean, you'd think we're in the middle of Montana right now. Like, the gale force winds we're talking here. Like, oh, man. I need a sweatshirt. And cold. You're cold, right? It's cold. See? Whoa. You gotta get out in the sun. Well, can we get some ESPN 690 sweatshirts? Well, sweatshirts. I want the sweatshirt with the cutoff. I know, man. So when I work and I spar with you. Exactly. That's what we wear. We're we actually have like four or five <laughs> back here for you. Up and everything. You have what? Sweatshirts back Oh, there? yeah. We've had, like, uh, we've had them the whole time. Were, were you going to say something or what? <laughs> you know you I'm really just, don't. You know I'm joking. We don't have those. No, honestly, I don't know you're joking because half the time, Goose, I don't know what you're thinking. So maybe you were telling the truth. I don't know. All right, here's the deal. I've got two tickets. Coos, if somebody calls in and wants the two tickets yeah. to uh, Florida, Florida State, they'll have to come down here, make their way down, and get them. And I can even leave them with, like, uh, the folks here at the, that bar at the arena. That's where we're at. So it's right <laughs> across uh, from the baseball grounds. Or they can come by if they end up down here quick enough. But they call 904-362-9901. Two tickets. And uh, thanks to uh, my buddies at Dome Hats. Uh, they had a couple tickets, and they dropped them off to me. And... Uh, they wanted me to give them away. So I did. So I am. 
uh, but you have to come down here, obviously. Uh, it's the day of the game, and the game starts in a half hour. But even if you come a little late, the nine-inning game, you got a couple hours to watch baseball on a beautiful night. Yeah. Uh, Over-under on the home run total is three and a half. Still waiting for Austin's answer on that. But, Still uh, thinking about it. Thanks again to the folks at Dome Hats. Uh, give Justin a call, 904-362-9901, and we'll get you the tickets if you want to make your way down and you were thinking about it and you didn't have any because it's standing room only tickets yep. uh, well, for the game. Hey, you guys, tonight. get here pretty early, too, because right now I hear some Pink Floyd being played by the band. The Big Cactus, was it? Uh, Fat, Fat Cactus. Cactus. I'm sorry. Yeah, Fat Cactus playing a little uh, Pink Floyd. Wish you were here right now. They so. sound good in there, man. Not bad. Not yeah. too shabby. During yeah, the breaks, I've been tuning in. Yeah, I respect it. Hey, how about this news uh, in NASCAR? You know the old uh, Coke Zero 400, which used to be like the Firecracker 400? You know, history in Daytona uh, runs deep, but it's a summer race in Daytona. They're moving the summer race in Daytona from July 4th, that week, weekend, to the end of August Uh. in 2020. Not this year, but in 2020. So they're altering the schedule, the NASCAR schedule. And I think to the folks that... Listen, we have, this is a hotbed for NASCAR, for racing, yep. and it's one of the big areas for it. And I think this one will rub people the wrong way. Getting That's a traditional thing well, down it's, there it's in the July summer. July weekend, Fourth man. It's one of the biggest party weekends of all time. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? And Firecracker 400 is just, it's such, like, even though it's now the Coke Zero or Coke Zero Sugar 400, it's still to many the Firecracker 400. So uh, it's got a ton of tradition and history, and families have been going there for decades and and uh, it's not as big as the Daytona 500, but it certainly has its own place in the NASCAR schedule. And they're putting Indianapolis uh, in that slot instead. Now, the only good thing, I think, not the only good thing, but one of the good things if you're uh, trying to make the race important for this Coke Zero Sugar 400 at Daytona, it'll be the end of August, but that's the last race before the playoffs, before the chase in NASCAR. So it will have a lot of importance and meaning to the drivers trying to get into the chase. Uh, but it's interesting, very interesting to see NASCAR, who's so rich in tradition and doesn't really like to mix a lot of things up in that sense from a schedule standpoint, track standpoint. Uh, they change rules and all that other stuff uh, often. But uh, they are moving the Coke Zero Sugar 400, the summer race in Daytona, to the end of August uh, in 2020. So that news came down here today. Uh, FSU, Justin says, Koo says, FSU is at 1.87 homers per game average, and UF is 1.11. How about this? Koo's doing some homework. I'll take that into account. I mean, are you sure he's doing homework or you just make that up? No, I'm looking at it right now, man. 2.98 home runs. So that's under three, but I set the over under three and a half. See, now that you say that, I'm actually taking the over. (laughs) Midweek pitchers and the wind's blowing out. So I'm taking the over three and a half home runs here in this game today, Florida and Florida State. I'm still thinking about it. Yeah, you're still thinking about it. You got about 20. You got about 20 more minutes. All right. Well, I'm going to use those 20 minutes then. Uh, you got a little stay in your lane, or did you already do that all because of Conor McGregor? I mean, I kind of know. You did the Conor McGregor the control. Yeah. Let me let me stay on Conor yeah, McGregor get, for a moment. Let's get back to Conor a little. Well, bit. that and Gronk. Yeah. So what do these guys do if they do retire? Where do yeah. you Where do you see them end up? Does Gronk end up wrestling? Does Gronk end no. up like the rock in a movie star? Does McGregor end up WWE and become a star or All Elite Wrestling? Yeah. Something like that. 
Or right. does McGregor go in the boxing well, world like you may have hinted at? Well, check this out. Okay, so let's get on Gronk first. Obviously, I don't think he's going to be a full-time professional wrestler. Uh, his body's, from what we know, is in pretty bad shape with his back, his ankle, uh, his forearms all jacked up. So I don't see him being a full-time wrestler. Now, that's not to say that he can't make appearances, kind of get the Brock Lesnar treatment, if you will. But I think from doing in-ring work, uh, listen, you just can't. And, and, you know, with, with Rousey, it's different because Rousey had that judo background. She had the MMA background. It's hard for a football player just to drop what he's doing, go in the ring, and to be expected to be a, a superstar right away. It takes time. Yeah. The, the, there's a way to wrestle. There's a whole, um, you know. The, the, there's the, an art the, to it. The, the, there's an art to it for sure. So from that point, I mean, Kinda I think like I'm a couple of radio. Exactly. I'm still learning. But uh, so when it comes to Gronk, yeah, I think maybe like acting, obviously endorsement deals, appearances here or there for sure, but I don't see him being a full-time wrestler. Now, getting back to Conor McGregor, and listen, and I've been on, I've said it earlier in the show, I'm going to say it again. I think from a perspective of what Conor McGregor brought to MMA, he is the most important figure in MMA history. Really? Not saying he's the best fighter in history, but I mean, he is up there because he is a two-time champion. Not a lot of guys can say that, BJ Penn. Uh, a few other guys, but from in terms of a guy that took what GSP did, you know, GSP started the, the idea of wearing a suit to a press conference, of you know, kind of being professional when it comes. Uh, Who's GSP? Pro- George St. Pierre. Thank you. Sorry about that. Yeah, so George St. Pierre was really the... I'm here for you, listeners. Yeah, so George St. Pierre, who people know, he's from Canada, obviously. He was really the, the pioneer of wearing the suits and everything. Or he's being, from Louisiana. Uh, maybe. Being a professional and whatnot. Well, Conor McGregor took that, Conor McGregor took that and then made it a completely different level of self-promotion, of this cocky, arrogant, um, and, you know, I said cocky, but also confident, because all the stuff that he said, all the outlandish things, he usually backed it up on. And the fact that he was from Ireland as well, you know, the fighting nation of Ireland, I mean, they all kind of flocked to him right away. So from that perspective of being good on the microphone, promoting himself, you know, fighting Floyd Mayweather for $100 million, really being the biggest fight of all time in terms of, uh, boxing, and I'm not saying it was the most important fight, but it was probably the biggest fight in terms of money. Uh, th- that's why Conor McGregor is probably the best fighter of all time in terms of just what he brought to to, to, to the events and whatnot. Now, getting back to what's, what Conor's going to do. Brent, I made a prediction about two weeks ago on my whiteboard on the show. You probably didn't see it. Yeah, I tried to ignore most of those, especially if they have anything to do with me. Okay, well, it doesn't have anything to do with you, but... If you remember, Ronda Rousey made her debut at WrestleMania. The, the Rock brought her out. Um, she confronted Stephanie McMahon, ended up doing a judo toss. I think she put, him in her, put her in an arm bar. Uh, Rousey was still with the UFC at the time, so she wasn't a, even a wrestler yet. But they kind of left it open to, hey, maybe Rousey could do this later down the road. But what happened? Rousey signed a WWE contract, and all of a sudden, Rousey's a full-time wrestler. You, you saw who's going to headline WrestleMania this year. Becky Lynch, Ronda Rousey, and Charlotte Flair. Well... I know you don't really follow Brent, so I'm bringing up the speed quick. In the past couple of Monday Night Raws, Travis Brown, who is Ronda Rousey's husband, has been involved in the storyline. Travis Brown is a former UFC fighter. Uh, he, he hasn't retired yet, but he hasn't fought in a while. I think he is kind of done. Uh, so Travis Brown has kind of been in the storyline, whether it's protecting Rousey from the refs, while it's going after refs with Rousey. Like, he's been in the storyline. My question is, why the heck would you have Travis Brown be involved in a storyline like the, the casual wrestling fans not going to know who Travis Brown is. I have no idea. If you do that. know who Travis Brown is, you know that he's had a couple of domestic uh, disturbances and domestic uh-huh. issues. Yeah, so he's had that too. And so, Rousey's married to him? And Rousey's married to him. So why would, if you're the WWE, why would you have Travis Brown in the storyline? It doesn't make any sense. 
or does it make sense? Because enter Becky Lynch, who is the biggest face right now in the WWE. Where's Becky Lynch from? Ireland. What's coming up in two weeks? WrestleMania. What's a possibility that could happen? It could be Travis Brown and Ronda uh, Rousey versus Becky Lynch and Conor McGregor. You're writing the script. I'm writing the script. But now here's the only problem with that whole, uh, my whole, you know, my plan here is the fact that Charlotte Flair's in, in the match too because it, it's a three-way. Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch, Ronda Rousey. I don't know how Charlotte Flair still fits in this picture yet, but I'm just saying keep an eye out for Conor McGregor because Dana White has been a fan with doing cross-promotion. Obviously, if Conor McGregor makes an appearance, it's good for the UFC as well. You so, heard WrestleMania. I'm talking the first time the girl's going to head a headline WrestleMania. Why not have Conor McGregor there to make it extra special? Pump your brakes, Austin Lane. Oh, yeah. And, and, and by the way, the pump your brakes segment. Uh, real quick, uh, a turkey vulture th- broke through a window oh, yeah, at the ESPN building. That's all i got to say. Yeah, I yeah, saw that. Stephen A. Smith yeah, I know. Now, Brent, did I hire somebody to take out Stephen A. Smith so we can take his time slot as not well? Yet. I'm not, not going to say Hey, I'm not saying I did, not saying I didn't, but I'm just saying. Not yet, because dang. we don't want to do five hours of radio. Oh, that's a lot, right? That'd be a lot. Well, it's going to be a lot more wrestling and MMA, which I'm for. Yeah, that's the 1 a.m. show. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh, when we come back, we put a ball on the show. Get you ready for Florida, Florida State as the baseball grounds here in Jacksonville are filling up. We are at the that bar at the arena. And come on by, say hello. We've seen a lot of Florida, Florida State fans here. It's been a lot of fun. 15 minutes to go. Give Coos a call if you want those tickets. I don't think anybody's called yet. 904-362-9901. we got a couple of ducats to the game tonight. If you want to pop on over, uh, we can get them to you. Just got to stop by that bar at the arena. A little hot take section coming up next on ESPN 690. Welcome back to ESPN 690. Brent had a run in the bathroom, so I'm taking over for a little bit. Coos. Let's get right into it because right now, dude, I'm freezing my ass off. It is windy out here, and I need some hot takes in the worst way. So uh, how about we do a little warming up here and get some hot takes going? All right. The first one's actually a personal one that I have, um, and and it's basketball-related. But I think James Harden is the MVP this season. Don't you dare do it. Yeah, over Giannis. Why? Here's the thing, because he's – and I th- like they're both great players, and Giannis has been phenomenal all year. But James Harden has the storylines. He's got these cool, flashy stats on top of him, and I think that's just really going to give him the push. Kuz, okay, first of all, you want to talk about storylines for a second? Let's talk storylines. Let's talk about how a, a, an immigrant from Greece came <laughs> over to Milwaukee, absolutely changed the whole city, changed the whole culture, and literally brought a Milwaukee Bucks team up from the ashes and put them with the best record in the NBA right now. How is that for a storyline? That's a, I, I'm, And I'm telling you, that's a great storyline, but James Harden essentially did that version of the storyline within this season. Like, they started, the Rockets started out with all these expectations. Then next thing you know, they're like the third worst team in the NBA. And then James Harden steps in, puts the team on his back. He starts carrying them up. I think they're in fourth, if I'm not mistaken now, making a push to uh, third place in the Western Conference. All in one season, he's able to do that. And on top of that, he's dropping these 50-point games. Uh, I, I think I heard on Stephen A. Smith's show today that he has now scored 30 points against every NBA team uh, this, this season. Yeah, yeah, he has. 
Uh, and that's yeah. why Welcome back to Brent Martin, oh, by the way. <laughs> uh, listen, we're just sliding in. I've been here for five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm sorry. We're getting really passionate. And I'm not oh, I like it. Yet. I like it. I, I like the passion. Uh, but here's the deal. Listen, Greek Freak, I'd love to see him win it. Harden, I think some of this stuff can be so manufactured. I've kind of felt that way about Russell Westbrook at times with the triple doubles, too. I think they're forced. I think the points are sometimes forced. The bottom line is, though, it's hard to ignore that James Harden has, is averaging eight more points than anybody else in the NBA. Averaging eight more points than anybody else. Brent, James Harden is also shooting 43% from the, line, or from the field right now. If a whole team shot 43% from, from the field, they wouldn't win many games. So what's that telling me? It's telling me that James Harden is taking all the shots, as opposed to the Greek freak who is shooting a respectable 58% from the field right now, and he also gets it done on defense as well. Listen, Harden has stepped his defense up a little bit, but in terms of a guy who's more important to his team, who's led the Milwaukee Bucks to the best record in the division, you got to give it to Giannis. Like this is—it's not even a debate. Well, it is a debate. Well, well that's, that's right what we're doing right now. But in my eyes, it's, it's no contest. Let me uh, uh, let me ask you this. All right. It's a great valid point, though. Who Hit you with Kuz? Wait, before you jump into that, if you take away Harden and you take yep. away Greek Freak, who has the better record? The Bucks. The, and I'm gonna be honest, the Bucks do too. Yeah. They still have Middleton, who is an All Star, but one's gotta wonder. If Giannis wasn't there, would Middleton be an all-star? I say nay. I think he would still be a, a great NBA player, but I think it speaks to the depth in general that the Bucks have. Or the Rockets, I mean, we saw it. Chris Paul went down, uh, Eric Gordon went down, and it was literally only James Harden that could do anything, you know? Where the Bucks really do have so many players and bench depth, and, and they really can can come at you from so many different ways. So... I think in that side of the argument, James Harden has some help there, too. All right. Was the other point you were going to bring up before I rudely interrupted? That was actually the point. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Very good. I'm glad I could help you there. Do we have another hot take? I was trying to find one from the players' meetings or the uh, the coaches' meetings, but nothing like super hot take. I got one for you, then. It's more of a – I don't know about a hot take, but more so – well, yeah, it's a hot take. Mark Easley will be – uh, above average or below average? Well, I'm, gl- I'm glad you actually brought him up, too, because uh, Doug Marone was on Sirius XM Radio talking about it, and he expects Marquise Lee to be back late in preseason. Yeah, late which, in preseason. Which is kind of telling. I figured he'd be back early preseason. But, wow. you know, I mean, I, I, obviously, there's still a long ways away, so they might ease him into it. But uh, what was the question again? I'm sorry. Well, is he going to be? Is he going to come back to form, or is this going to be a recovery year, a year that well, where you hardly notice Marquise Lee? Uh, is he going to be a big factor with Nick Foles or not? Brent, let's be honest. Though. You say come back to form. What, what is that form? Because well, we, we, we haven't really seen a lot of it, right? I mean, he's no, had but the a... last two years, he was a, a reliable wide receiver before he got hurt last year. I'm saying the two previous years. Okay. The one that got him the contract extension. You know, early on, Marquise Lee had been the guy that was always hurt and everybody, the albino tiger and all that yeah. stuff. Well, then he played in a lot of games, and he actually missed less games than anybody. He caught more balls than anybody else, and... He had become reliable. Uh, now, listen, he wasn't a pro bowler. I'm not saying that. But he was the guy on third and eight that I think going into last year, that's who Blake Bortles was going to go to. Well, then he gets hurt, and now you don't have that guy. So, so right now, yeah. third and eight this year, Yep. 
is Marquise Lee going to be the guy that Nick Foles goes to, or is he going to have to look somewhere else? I guess that's as succinctly as I can say it. So from the perspective of what the Jaguars have right now, what they're going to draft, I feel like Marquise Lee can take the next step, and here's why. I don't feel like the Jaguars are going to rely on him to be that one receiver anymore. Kind of like you look at what happened with uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, where Smith-Schuster had a Pro Bowl year. Why? Because the attention was off him a little bit. The past couple seasons, Marquise Lee's been that guy. Okay, don't get me wrong. I mean, like you said, Brent, he's performed pretty well, but I feel like he's not that one receiver. So if we can put him in the slot, if we can move him around a little bit, you know, kind of throw those screens and whatnot towards him, I think that's where he's going to shine. Get him in space a little bit, just like Juju Smith-Schuster was. And I feel like if we have that legit bona fide one receiver, whether it's, I don't know, if, if Chris Conley can be that guy or somebody else that we draft, I feel like then that's going to open up Lee's game a little bit too. He can use his speed. Teams aren't going to focus so much on him, and he's going to have a great year. Well, here's the deal about Marquise Lee. You know what I'd like to see them do a little bit? Marquise Lee has been pigeonholed, I think, at times with this Jags offense because, it, you know, when he was playing he was healthy, they were playing in a box some. Or, or Allen Robinson was the one going down the field. Uh, you know, Marquise Lee, we still have not seen him in a role where he can get down the field. And they haven't asked him to do that much. Like, people will knock Marquise Lee. They're like, well, he, he doesn't, he, he's not getting 17 yards a catch, or he's not catching, making big plays. Well, they don't ask him to do that. One of the reasons they don't ask him to do that, or hadn't asked him to do that, is because he's a very good blocker. And so they would keep him in sometimes, or keep him close, and then he became that reliable third and eight guy, like I say. So they weren't just sending him down. He can burn, man. A guy can fly. I mean, he's a, he's a special athlete, but... I'd like to see them do that from time to time. I'm not saying that he has to be just that guy, because now they have Chris Conley, and I think he might be expected to do a little bit of that. Westbrook can do that to a degree. He can be a big play receiver. But I'd like to see them get Marquise Lee in some space, whether it's 30 yards down the field or whether it's something where he can run after the catch and not just something across the middle of the field. Remember, when we're talking middle of the field, you have to be willing participant to go over the middle of the field. And that sounds easy, but a lot of people don't like to do it. And that life ain't for everybody. And Marquise Lee had, had done that. I, I will say this about Marquise to kind of answer my own question. I love Marquise Lee. I really do. I really love his story. I think he's a cool dude. I think it's going to take him time in 2019 to get back, whether it's late preseason because he gets going or if he had even showed up to camp on time and was ready to go. I think when you come off these injuries, history shows it takes a good half the season before you get going. Now, Will the Jags still be able to use him? Will they still be able to win games? Will other guys step up early to give Marquise Lee time to get back in the fold, if you will, to kind of find himself? If they do that, he could have a big second half of the year. But I think it's going to be a slow start to 2019 for Marquise Lee. Not really anything on him. I just think it's the way it happens when you have these kind of injuries. And if that's the case, then we need other guys to step up. And listen, I always say the first year to your second year is the most important uh, transition in the NFL, and it's where you make your most strides. D.D. Westbrook, a guy going into his second year who kind of was unproductive his first year, a lot of penalties, a lot of mistakes, a lot of fumbles. Here, here's a guy that could come in and possibly, you know, be productive his second year. He's shown he has the speed. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's, he's got the he's got the things he can't teach. Now it's just about getting his mind right, um, you know, and not making so many uh, mistakes. The Jaguars have an interesting receiving core, in my opinion. We're going to talk about it a lot over the next few months, of course. But they have upside to their receiving core. I just don't know how much I trust the upside. You know, Chris Conley, he might be on the verge of something. You know, Doug Marone said it today. He's He hasn't played his best football. His best football is ahead of him. If you look at D.D. Westbrook, it looks like he took a step last year. Really, the second half of last year, I thought D.D. Westbrook was fun to watch. He was one of the reasons to watch games because of his effort, 
his ability to get open, and they finally got him the dang ball. It took him long enough. And I think he'll take, if he takes another step this year, we might be talking about a special player. And then there's DJ Chark. Chark, at times he flashed, and he was really good at special teams, but you're like, all right, we need to see something out of this guy. And is this the year they see a little bit more out of DJ Chark? So it's an interesting group, very unproven. But with some upside, you can kind of see inside the building what they like about the group. But, man, there's a lot of ifs. And, and ifs are dangerous in the NFL. I'll tell you what, though, with those ifs, the fact that they actually added a little bit of a veteran presence in, in Conley, which is, I mean, it's saying he's a veteran. It's like, what, his fifth year in the NFL? Yeah, yeah. That's crazy to say. But, I mean, he is going to be the veteran in that, in that room, and he's going to be the guy well, that... Well, Marquise, too. Well, and Marquise as well. But, you know, just adding more more veteran leadership, um, especially in that room, is going to be big as well. Yeah, I think it'll be important, and obviously Nick Foles will be able to show them the way a little bit, and once they add T.J. Hawkinson, I mean, it'll be great. Oh, easy, there it is. Spoiler alert, huh? (laughs) Hey, speaking of the Jags, I think we'll have the new addition at linebacker on the show tomorrow, Jake Ryan. Okay. All right. How about that? I like that. I'm surprised. A little Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah, Bring the cheese curds. Bring the cheese curds. Bring the cheese heads. No, keep the cheese heads at home. Yeah, those are bad. I think Jake Ryan on a Wednesday. You know who else is going to join us tomorrow? Who's that? Grave Digger. Not bad. Like like, like the the monster truck driver? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the legend. All right. My son's going to be insane out of his mind. Florida, Florida State tonight at the baseball grounds. I'll see you on TV on Fox 30 at 6.50. Have a good night, everybody. ESPN 690. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.